0: Hello, fans of Dungeons and & Dragons and actual
1: play podcasts.
2: Lovers of lore-rich storytelling, phenomenal characters, and grand adventures.
3: The Homebrew, a D&D play podcast, would like to invite you to check out our actual play. We're a top-charting podcast with a thriving community and over 200 hours of epic story for you to binge. i catch up on. The Homebrew is a D&D 5th edition campaign reskinned as a huge sci-fi space opera.
4: Join us anywhere podcasts are found by searching The Homebrew, a D&D play podcast.
3: One more time, that's The Homebrew, a D&D play podcast. The Critical
5: Role Podcast, brought to you by Geek & Sundry, with special permission from Vox Machina. We're going to start here with a little overview of character creation. So, for most RPGs, especially those in the fantasy realm, this will be a very familiar uh, aspect. But there are many different game types that run different things. But usually, the point goes: you choose a race, and you choose a class. The race defines your uh, your physical background, uh, your family bloodline, and what attributes that adds to you. A class is essentially the job or the 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 way you've lived your life going forward, and what skills you've acquired because of it. So. Throughout the player's handbook, you can go ahead and turn through the, pa- the first few pages, the first couple sections. You'll see there are certain races like the dwarf, whom oh, I love. Dwarves are awesome.
2: If underrepresented. Can turn to page sixty-two. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. the players handbook. <clears throat> no,
5: technically, page eighteen. Page 18.
0: So page
2: eighteen.
5: Dwarves are cool. They're sturdy. They're strong. They're a little brash. Uh, they're you know, if if that's something you guys are thinking about as you're coming up with your character ideas. Dwarves are fun for that reason. I'm going to breeze through these because you don't need to spend 30 minutes on races. Uh, we have elves. What we have? Elves, you know elves. Lord of the Rings, elves are cool. They have uh, high elves, which are a little more haughty and, and well learned. We have the uh, the forest elves, what they it called? Or just I guess the basic, yeah,
6: it's the older version. All right,
5: we have wood elf, there we go, which are more of the Legolas style, you know, in the woods, hunting, being stealthy. And then you have the dark elves, which are the drow, that are from actually the Underdark, where you guys have been fighting through, though you've not encountered any Drow we in
7: the underground. Half a
2: drow? They're just blending in. Yeah, we, haven't we, we counted like a drow. In the half drow? a drow? Like, stitch, we monster. stitch monster. This monster was
5: elfin, not drow. drow. Oh, I thought it was
1: a drow. A drow. Cool. They're mostly dad.
5: Yeah, mostly Thank bad. you. So, well, I
7: like I uh, there they're also
5: halflings, which uh, you could say hobbit, but I think the uh, the Dungeons and Dragons version of halflings are a little more. Uh, awesome butt-kicking a little less. Oh, I just want to stay home and make little farm animals.
6: We found what Lucas is. One of my favorite pictures in the book, <laughs> by the way. Sure.
5: The halfling. The Short. halfling on the, on the, yeah. on the like, mandolin. Yeah. You got humans, which are cool and well-rounded, all across the board. You right. got dragon board, which have dragon bloodlines, like Tiberius right over here. Ah. Um, like a Breath weapon, strong, charismatic. You have gnomes, which we have two gnomes in our campaign. They're the smallest of all the races. They're also probably the most nimble and the most naturally resistant against magic types. Are they the shortest? They are the shortest, shortest. yes. Shorter than dwarves and halflings. You also have half-elves, which we have quite a few in our campaign.
8: Purpose Happen through it. some <laughs> drunken
5: evening between a human and an elf. Um, Sick. Get a little bit of both sides. Then you have the half-orc, which is half-human, half-orc. Generally a much larger, stronger, uh, quicker to anger, ready for battle type And then you have the Tieflings, who are humanoid, but have somewhere in their previous bloodline some contact with demonic forces that left them with some essence of the hells in their bloodlines, like horns, tails, yellow eyes. Think Nightcrawler from X-Men, that's kind of what a Tiefling would look like, possibly the horns. Um, So those are the races, so if you have some ideas, keep that in the back of your mind, write down on your sheet what you think would be a cool race.
6: I think a new one is uh, the the djinn, like there's like a Gin race. Like there's like an air, and a water, and a fire, and an earth. Oh, like, like an evil genie. In, yeah, that's cool. I've like the,
8: new,
6: at the that. new the new
5: the yeah, uh, awesome genie. Fashion, right. like,
6: like and of course the gins we also have. was at the
5: Goliaths, which are half giants. Uh we're not gonna be bored about tonight, because those are in the new yeah. Elemental, yeah. Evil Elemental Evil League. edition, that's what Grog is. Yeah, but they're only really big, strong yeah. guys. Yeah. Um so keep in mind a race you want to play, which is cool. Classes we got. So we got Barbarian. Grog is a great example of barbarian. Big hardy warrior types that shun armor for just pure aggression and anger. They, uh, they use rage as a means of destroying their foes, upping their abilities in combat, and preventing mental effects magically affecting them. We have bards. Bards are vastly skilled across the board. They have skills of all types. Um, even things they don't know very well. They know a little bit of everything, kind of a jack of all trades. They have some minor spell casting. They also can inspire other people with songs, speech, and help them out with certain skill checks. Um, bards are pretty cool. We got uh, clerics, your healers. But you say healer, like, oh, I don't want to be a healer. Clerics also have access to really powerful divine magic, so while people may feel, oh, clerics, you dumb, you heal the party. They can also call down divine judgment, which is great.
2: Also, having a healer is really nice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 that's that's, nice that's, that's
9: a second. The hell, dude! We should have just worn the same shirt. <laughs> we don't feel like you have
5: to. This is a one-shot. You guys pick whatever you want. We got druids. Total which two? Exactly. What could happen? <laughs>
10: druids.
5: I won't feel guilty about this one. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hey, <Yeah. laughs> come on. First time in the game.
7: Done. I take the physical challenge.
5: <laughs> physical challenge. Physical challenge. Uh, druids also have some healing capabilities. But they also have more uh, uh, nature-based magics. They're they're cool and they control nature. And can turn into beasts and, and, and creatures like that. Giant Geo- scorpions. indeed. We have fighters. Fighters are just straight-up fighters. Imagine what a fighter is. That's a fighter. Uh, they can use all armor and all weapons. They can generally get more attacks than other classes. They're generally like the marshal, the generals, the warriors, the the, the pit fighters. They're just. More rough and tumble. Let's just damage each other. We've got uh, monks. Monks, crazy fast, punch and do awesome damage with their bare fists. They can avoid things. They can do multiple hits per round. They can use key points to inflict different types of attacks. Monks are basically, if you want to be uh, it man in the middle of a D and D campaign, pick a monk.
6: <laughs> and I believe like the monk and sorcerer are the yeah. only ones that have like the point system. Yeah. 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 yeah.
5: You have paladins, bastion of, of good and right in the world. Paladins stand for law and 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 wonder, and if anyone proves themselves evil, they will be destroyed and smited by the by the divine energies of their god. So yeah. they're generally generally pretty <laughs> pious. They fight for good. They fight for the underdog. They can like a Just like Zach a fu-
2: perk up there.
5: Yeah. <laughs> they can. They have good fighting abilities. They can wear and use most armor and weapons, but they also get a little bit of divine cleric-based magic, and they can heal with a touch.
1: Boy
2: yeah. Total Boy Scouts. Yeah, total Boy Scouts. Got
5: Rangers, which is what Laura's character, Axelia, is. Um, they have good either two weapon or ranged combat. They can pick a companion animal if they want to. It's how Trinket came about. Uh, you know, definitely the the Legolas of Lord of the Rings type. Arrow, arrow, arrow! Everything's getting arrows. Arrow! <laughs> um, we got rogues, which is what Liam plays in our game. Rogues are all about stealth, stabbing in the back, finding weak points in their enemies, and doing serious damage with with preci- <laughs> precision strikes by d- distracting their enemies and finding where their weak points are. Um, they generally don't have a lot of hit points or defenses, but if they can get in there sneakily, they'll do some serious damage. Then we got Sorcerer, which Tiberius is, which is a magical caster, arcane based. Um, whereas a wizard is more of like the classic wizard. You see with giant spell books learning and, you know, Harry Potter style classes and. and, and That kind of uh, learned magical ability, sorcerers have it innately in their blood from from their bloodline somehow, and their casting ability is kind of like an improvised thing they just learned and are good at. So imagine more of a a less learned, less controlled wizard that mostly understands some magic naturally, whereas the wizard is the the, the well learned spell book type, more studious, have a larger breadth of spells to pick from. Uh, but the sorcerer is a little more improvised and can use points to instill power with it. Last but not least, we got a warlock. Warlocks are magical practitioners who draw their magic from making a pact with some otherworldly entity. It can be like demons or the Nine Hells, and they draw more hellfire and infernal type magics. They can make a pact with dark fae, which are basically like creepy Oberon style, you know, fairy elf people from uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, or the great old ones like Cthulhu. Hi, Cthulhu, give me magic. What could possibly go wrong?
8: Mm-hmm. Those are the Warlocks.
5: <laughs> so, those are primarily your classes you get to pick. You choose a race and you choose a class. Uh, you guys have some ideas yet yeah. of what you might want to play tonight?
7: Oh, most definitely. Oh, yeah.
5: Oh, uh, 100%. 100%. Well, what do you want to play? Let's start with Dan. Dan, what do you want to play? Uh,
7: I'm going to be a Dwarven Rogue. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Rogue right. dumbler. <laughs> <A number.
8: laughs>
5: Not the block. All right, fantastic. Uh, how about you, Zyg?
0: I am the Snuggle Lord. I am a Warlock Tiefling. So. And I derive my powers from all holy overlord of Geek and Sundry.
5: Okay. The evil overlord. That would fall under it's
0: Infernal. Just feeling okay. really metal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
8: okay.
5: I'm, yeah, I'm going to say that that most definitively falls under uh, the Fiend Pact. <clears throat> so you're going to go to the Fiend Pact. Um, and then, what'd you go, Effie?
11: Yeah, I'm going to be off guard fireforge. Fighter. Dwarf. Two handed swordsman, cut your face off, take your money. (laughs) AKA true neutral. Oh,
8: (laughs) true neutral.
5: do it. This is gonna be a very fun short game.
7: (laughs) (laughs) We got this. never made it out of that (laughs) first
0: (laughs)
5: tavern. Oh man, you guys. I set
0: the place on fire.
5: (laughs) Wait, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. hold (laughs) Hold it back. Hold it back. Cool. So. For each of you guys, uh, let's go ahead and roll out some stats for you. So what you do, to decide what your attributes are for your characters, that basically says how strong they are, how hardy their physicality is, how fast they are, and you have strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma, those are the six stats. So uh, for you guys, if you want to go ahead and take there are different ways of rolling stats. Some people do a point-buy system where you start with a certain base stat and you can buy based on points. For this, we're going to use my favorite system to do, which is you roll 4d6 Oh, my favorite. the range is desired. So I guess for those of you who haven't seen how the dice work, there are different dice values in the game. You have a d4, which is a four-sider dice. So this is a little caltrop, painful to step on. you got a d6, your typical six-sided dice. d8, which is a little more pointy, that's an eight-sider. you got a 10 cider, which comes in two varieties. Regular or additional numbers. This is if you're doing percentage rolls, you know what the percentile dice numbers are. Pardon me. A D12, which is only really used if you're a barbarian, apparently. It's the saddest and the red-headed stepchild of uh. D&D. I need a D12. And and oh yeah, so you, you made to use
9: it too, it's great. I'm happy. It gets more love.
5: It needs more love. <laughs> D12 needs more love. And the D20, which is the most used dice in the game. Most all decisions are based on a 20 set of dice. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. So. For the statistics, I need you guys to go ahead and take four d6, so four six of dice. Uh, we'll start. Uh, whoever wants to start, go ahead and. and you, you I, I have those you four.
2: Those four right up front.
5: Right up front. Okay. Here you are. You roll them. Drop the lowest number. Yahtzee. <laughs> Starting with a seven. Awesome. Yeah. Woo! Damn. So so you can just, you can decide you where you want, want to put your seven in, uh. in any of the stats.
2: If your stats are super crappy, we'll roll again. <laughs>
1: no we won't. No, of course. No.
2: <laughs> no. no right. Not, no, not tonight. Not to Ooh, not. Never mind.
1: Time. Yeah.
2: But See, normally if your stats kind of are campaign. super crappy. No,
1: play it where happen. it lies. Yeah. yeah. You can and put
5: it where wherever yeah. you want to. Yeah. And which what stat is that
8: for?
5: Ten is an average score. An average person has a ten. Whatever stat you want to. C minus. What we
2: generally do is roll roll all six and then write them down. And then decide where you want to. Mm-hmm. What
0: you got over there, my you got? Yeah. Yeah,
7: uh, no, my first one. Eight. Ooh, That's pretty
2: good. Nice. 15. 15
0: and eight. What you got, Dan? All
7: right. All right. Well, sorry, that we we got counts oh, there as we go. six. Big 13. Yeah.
11: Big 13 of the oh. so that was oh, Big 1 3. Big 14 was that. <laughs> Alrighty. Apparently, this this was from a Wild Western and they have a bull's head, <laughs> head of six instead of a. Uh, there you go. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs>
7: Uh, I'll
6: take, uh, all right.
11: A little bit you got of, a, uh, bit a uh,
7: thirteen there.
5: Thirteen. All right. mm-hmm. this is righty. Okay. And we'll say for the purposes of this, we'll give, give you guys each if you want to uh, roll, roll five times. Right. And six. Five six. times. Okay. okay. All right. Twelve and uh, fourteen <laughs> Okay. So roll five times, and then everyone
7: for <laughs> the oh, purposes finally. of this game, mm, seventeen. There you go.
5: All right, and then we and, choose where we go. And then uh, so you roll five times. You have five numbers. Mm-hmm. Then take a sixteen. You can Ooh. put it anywhere you want.
0: Well, I think you say. Well, take that's a good sir. I you
5: for this. That way, if anyone just rolls crappy, you yeah. don't end up doing too bad. Like yeah. damn. get that seven for a bit of character. Exactly, dude. Yeah. That's what lower stats are some of my favorites. Like honestly, having something lower than ten, at least one, is great. That's how Grog has his intelligence six. Tiberius has wisdom of four. Lower. Like yeah. those are great defining characteristics of a character. So.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, I generally have a charisma of eight, but I have that circlet, which is boosting me. Boosting you to average. Which is From below. Me to
1: average. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> gonna play this game the way they want to but I think if you're playing it for like the numbers and maxing out your numbers and like, how can I deal the most damage when you're picking your skills? It's less fun. I like choose the things that are, that draw you to it as a, as a character or personality or be really weak with powerful magic or be totally muscle bound like
6: Grog with a, mm-hmm. and be a, you know, an idiot. That's why Tiberius is so bumbly and sometimes and really doesn't know shit.
7: <laughs> <laughs> because you're super into math, it's which I'm first not. First time out in the world. <laughs> but go math. Yeah. Go uh, math. That's your bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool. So once you have your
5: stats arranged from that point, you can start going to your uh, your characters. And we're going to go ahead and just make level two characters, relatively simple, for this first game. Um, if you look to where your classes are, it'll have a hit point value as well. you be able to roll how many hit points you have. Everyone starts with, at level one, max hit point value.
8: <coughs>
5: and uh, I think, let's see for the robe. We have a d8, so you start at eight hit points. Oh boy. I'm gonna that's roll again. You roll one d8 to add to that for level two. Where
7: are you, You
5: may have
7: to explain 10. some of these things. Solve this mystery. <laughs> okay, <laughs> So what is, what is this? What did you get that number? Two! Uh, two, all right. A hot 10, double digits don't like to brag. <laughs> now, what's your constitution? Uh, oh, that will, I haven't assigned them yet. Okay. But, because so I wanted to I know, as a dwarf, I get plus two to my constitution. True, Correct? exactly. Okay. Yep.
2: Yeah, you get certain racial stat bonuses, yeah. depending on what race you choose.
5: Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll do a couple choosing things and then I'll have you guys go over and help them with actually building the money of the characters while I go over the dungeon master section. Mm. Okay. You
1: cool, cool. had to bring race into it. I
5: do, I <laughs> know. Oh, cool, so uh, so just get the hit point roll out of the way, too, for you, yeah. Zach. Is that cool, so it's as a, a warlock, it's you, are, a d8. you are rolling a d8 as well. Okay. So you start with eight and then add
11: this to it. Eight. 16. Nice. Good roll. You got a D, 10. 10, and then I'm going to add five.
5: 15 on you. Warlock has the most hit points.
8: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll,
5: we'll, we'll see where everyone's constitution lies in a bit. So uh, stats, 10 is average, and then every two above a 10 creates a modifier. So like at 12, that stat has a plus one modifier. At 14, it's a plus two. At 16, it's a plus three, 18 a plus four, and so on. And what that modifier is, is it's the bonus you get to any ability or uh, attempt you make towards something that falls under that stats category. Like if you're trying to break through a door, you'd roll a d20 and add your strength. You know, or if you're trying to, uh, like a lot of the, the reflex saving, or the, uh, the dexterity saving throws, based off your dexterity, you would roll a d20 and add what your modifier would be for your dexterity. So those, those modifiers, based on your stat, are what affect your d20 rolls for most everything you do in the game. Um, Let's see. So those are the stats. We'll get to skills uh, here in a moment. You guys will go over the the specifics of that with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But everyone should be at a proficiency bonus of plus two. You should see at the top left of your sheet it says proficiency bonus above your stats. Put a plus two in there. Now under each class in your section it'll have a, a a section for skills. It'll say which skills you're proficient in, under proficiencies. And i will have you choose a few. What you do is, in the character sheet, you have these nice little bubbles here that you get to fill in next to those skills. Those mark which ones you're proficient in. So you can go ahead and choose those, and fill them in. Uh, let's see. I think for now, if you guys want to go over and help them get the uh, get their classes a little underway of getting the minutiae of that building process, I'm going to jump into the next section. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Let's let's do this. All right. So you guys feel free to go over there and help them. Okay. Um,
1: You're gonna chat while
5: we yep. Great. So keep a little quiet. We're gonna turn those mics down over there. We're gonna keep on mind. I'm gonna go ahead oh, yeah. and go it's, over it's, it's more of the actual dungeon. Who wants basketball.
2: to pick who for their coach? I need all the
8: help
5: in the world.
2: <laughs> <laughs> do we have like some individual coaches?
0: Who wants to be really disappointed at the end of the night? Me, me, me. Okay, help me! Which one of
5: you is caster? All righty, so let's move on to the next section here. Welcome to uh, the role of a dungeon master or game master in this. So there are a number of things that you're required to be when it comes to dungeon mastering. Largely, your goal is to be a fair judge. You take all the actions and the activities and the intent and the phrases that the players do, and you judge whether or not it was a good attempt or a bad attempt, and modify a difficulty based on it. Basically, for most things that are actively a challenge in the game, you as the dungeon master decide how difficult it is given the circumstance. If it's a really, really weak door someone's trying to kick through, like the door's been dilapidated and rotting, you might say it's pretty easy, so you give it like a a score of seven to 10 is the difficulty. And then whoever's trying to break it has to roll equal to or higher than that number. If it's an iron-reinforced door, that's gonna be a much higher number. So a lot of what you're doing is you're judging how difficult a challenge currently is versus what a player's trying to do. The player rolls and adds their modifiers. You decide how difficult it is in the back of your head. You can tell them if you want to, or you can keep it in your head. And then roll off and see if it succeeds or not. And then based on if it succeeds or not, you tell the players what the consequences are of the circumstance. Uh, Really low rolls can make for some hilarious botches. Really awesome rolls can make for some great heroic moments. Um, So you want to judge that aspect a lot. That's a lot of what your job is as a dungeon master. You're also to rationalize the world around them. So,
10: if uh, we can keep the volume down just a little bit, guys.
5: It's all good. It's all good. Um, it's all good. So, uh, rationalizing the world around them. Now, what I say about that is when they encounter NPCs, uh, which is a non player character, anyone that's not controlled by the players, and they have a conversation or they do something in front of them, that non player character is going to have a reaction. So you, as the dungeon master or game master, you decide based on what they've done or what they've said, the personality of the character that you're playing, how they would react to that circumstance, favorably, unfavorably. And so a lot of your a lot of your your experience as dungeon master is rationalizing that relationship back and forth. If they're a really charismatic character that comes, reads the NPC well and kind of sees that maybe they, they dress well, maybe they like a lot of money, and so they open the conversation about money and how they can be paid, that's going to be a very favorable reaction, so if they're trying to convince the NPC to do something, you might consider a relatively low difficulty. If it's a progressive conversation and the player keeps bungling their words or rolling poorly throughout the conversation, that difficulty might get higher and higher by the end of the conversation for them to finally convince them to do something. So you're constantly gauging how well they're doing in a social encounter versus uh, how easy it is for the NPC to believe what they're saying. Also, you'll find challenges that are uh, conflicting, or versus, where the player rolls versus an NPC. An example of that would be someone trying to deceive somebody, to lie to somebody, versus their insight. And so what you would do is the player, if they're trying to lie to an NPC, they'd go ahead and roll, add their deception skill, and then me as the dungeon master, or you as the dungeon master, would roll a d20, add that NPC's insight skill, And if you haven't decided one, you can make one up on the spot based on how insightful you think that NPC might be and compare the two. If they lose, they probably believe the player. If they win, they don't, and it's your decision whether or not they want to show that card or go along with it secretly knowing that they're lying and then have that bite them in the ass later on. So you want to be a fair judge and rationalize the world around them and how NPCs react to what they're doing. One of the biggest aspects of being a game master or dungeon master, in my opinion, is understanding that you're here to tell a story, and you're here to allow the players to be heroes. The reason you play this game is you want that heroic journey. And there are many people that enjoy games that are very versus, very conflicting, and very like dungeon master versus players, trying to kill them, they're trying to survive, and that's totally fine too, just make sure upfront you and the players discuss what kind of game you want to play. Nothing's worse than having a player sign on board, make characters, get a few sessions in, and realize that they're now locked into a campaign that is very aggressive and very fight to survive versus what they wanted was a very plain, happy you know, fantasy experience. So make sure that you're very open with your players in the get-go what kind of campaign you want to run. In my opinion, it's the most fulfilling if it's a collaborative experience. Where you provide challenges, you provide difficulty, you provide high stakes, and there is that threat of death. But you never want the players to feel like you're working against them. You want to be kind of an impartial judge and be be firm but fair. Uh, which is why it's so scary sometimes when they get close to a TPK because I, I set it up a certain way, they play it a certain way, and you let the dice fall as it does. Or in some cases it works in their favor, like a long-standing boss fight you prepared a lot. They happen to roll really well on and kill your beholder. Totally fine. <laughs> Good for them. Who knows what's coming next?
1: So
5: uh, present challenges, present difficulty, but never really with the intent to make the players feel like they're unfairly being beaten down and you're just trying to kill them off of some, some power-hungry spree. Because it just generally ends negatively and badly. Um, also, in that same vein, you want to reward good thinking, guile, and good in-character actions and role-playing. And punish reckless against character behavior. A good example was Pike as a cleric. Early in the game, she was uh, you know beginning to be a little cruel, and you know her, while she is a war cleric, uh, and combat and battle is not unfamiliar to her, cruelty was, and unnecessary cruelty began to fall into a negative point of favor with her deity, Seren Ray. Causing the holy symbol to begin to crack, and we're kind of seeing where that's going to play out down the road. Um, conversely, if someone does something really cool in character, something that really kind of, kind of changes the dynamic, or has everyone else at the table going, like, whoa, that's really great, and maybe you want to reward them with an inspiration dice, uh, which is, uh, if you guys have seen the inspiration mechanics, you can lend inspiration dice to players, which allows them to give a bonus to one of the roles they make. Uh, our bard, Scanlan, can give those out as an ability, but use the DM can also give those out if someone does something really cool. Uh, and if someone does something really risky, but really crazy dynamic, even if it seems near impossible, let them try. Let the players try things that are crazy. Uh, they might have a really low chance of working, and they'll fail spectacularly, and those will still make for great stories and, and great memories in that game, so. Know, let the players be heroes, present them with the challenges, reward them for good for good in-character decisions, and try to track them from making out-of-character uh, decisions that take and rob the fun from the other players as well. I mean, everyone can play as they want to, and if you're running an evil campaign or you have an evil character in a game that's like starting to undermine the rest of the party, that can be interesting as long as all the players understand and are down with that type of experience. Once again, that's the conversation you have at the beginning about what everyone's trying to get out of the game. Um, then another job of the DM, and one of the other larger jobs is you build the world. You build the world, you help the players tell the story, and you work together to find where the story's going from there. Uh, I'll get into more detail that shortly, but but you, this is, is your format. this is your tale. You can either buy an existing module which has a pre-built world, and you can customize it however you feel. You can play it stringently as to how the module is built. Uh, you can expand upon it, or you can do what I do with this and just build everything from scratch and, and see where it goes. It's a lot of work, and the DM is it does have a lot more time they have to put into the game, but it's, in my opinion, one of the more fulfilling experiences you can have as a gamer, because you get to watch all these people Play in your sandbox and build their own sandcastles, and it's kind of exciting to watch them flourish in your own creative space and play off of you. So, I, you know, I well, I do complain occasionally, I don't get a chance to play too often. Um, the experience I have watching other people, you know, find these moments, they,
8: you
5: know, it's, it's, it's to me, it's fascinating and very rewarding. So, I you know it's a lot of front loading on this, um, but, uh, He's <laughs> trying to explain to you the, the gist of this. So as, as a dungeon master, you want to be a fair judge, you want to rationalize the world around them, you want to try and make sure the players have the opportunity to be heroes and have those heroic moments. Reward them for doing good, cool things, trying to track them from ruining other people's fun or doing things that are out of character, and uh, build a world for them to play in. So uh, in these books, in any RPG book, there are many rules about how to do combat, how to do social interactions, and you can read up on that. You can uh, you can take a look at what's in there and understand you can play these by the book, completely as they are inside it. It's a great rule system, it works really well. But everything in here and all these books are guidelines. Anything can be changed, anything can be altered, anything can be customized to how you want it to be. If you don't like how movement or actions work in the game, you can change it, however you see fit. And just notify the players that's the case, of course, otherwise they might feel a little you know, uh, taken advantage of if they didn't understand the changes you made. But you can change and alter anything you want in the game. It's, it's just guidelines for you to play off of. Uh, I know I've homebrewed a few things, and occasionally aspects of being used to Pathfinder bleed over as well. Um, but you just take it as it comes. The bottom line is, as a dungeon master, as a game master, it's your world, and you can. your word is law. People can't really argue with you unless it's a rules question that you didn't clarify before, in which case you kind of have to go in the favor of the player if it's something you didn't clarify. But for the most part, you, you play the part of the overall god of this world, and players also have to respect that what you say goes. That's kind of that weird dynamic between the players and the DM. It's kind—it's of, a respect mechanic. You don't want the players to lose respect for you because then they stop, well, partially enjoying it, but also they start feeling that antagonistic relationship, which can be a little stressful for both points. Um, so, customize the rules as you see fit. We homebrewed Percy's Gunslinger class over from Pathfinder because we just, uh, when we converted over, there was no equivalent, and so we made something up. And we we're trying it out, it's it's a work in progress, it's by no means perfect, but it seems to be doing okay, and it keeps it fun for him without completely changing uh, the dynamic of the character he already created. I know they'll probably release a Gunslinger equivalent in the future or something, and it might be vastly different from what he has, but we're going to stick with this because it's what he's used to, and it's what he's built his character's personality and combat around. So, yeah, just keep that in mind. Uh, The next bit, and this is kind of a a big suggestion point for a lot of you guys. A large part of the DM's time is spent world building. I say world building, it's creating all the little details and the aspects of the world you want the players to play in. Uh, there are parts of that, like creating a society, building towns and villages, designing dungeons and encounters, and all that crazy stuff, all comes together into that world that you're creating. Thank you. Have to keep everything down a little bit. But you want to start somewhere, and it seems very daunting as a, as a dungeon master, especially a new one, to say, "How do I, how do I create all this?" How do, I, how do I, where do I start? And that's, that's a difficult question. Sometimes for your first couple games, it doesn't hurt to look at a module. Go out and pick up one of the existing Dungeons & Dragons adventure books that outlines for you how a city would be built, how NPCs would be built, uh, and how they would play out and respond to certain circumstances. It's a good way to train yourself to see how that process would look when it's finished. So, if you decide to create your own campaign or customize aspects, you know where to build off of. Um, if you're building your own world, i'd I'd recommend starting with a small Society, a small village or a small town. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna build a small town. Where's this? Where's this town gonna be? What's the topography? You're like, okay, well, we can. It can be like the middle of a forest village. I mean, more natural base, kind of farmer society, or it can be uh, your archetypical urban environment, with a very thriving trade society, a mercantile run, you know, people. Uh, it could be a port town that has, sees a lot of trade, but also has that kind of travel aspect. It's a mixing pot of cultures. Um, or it could be just a small farm town that's constantly under siege. But you want to start with some, some bastion of civilization, some place where the players can meet other characters, find adventure, find quests, and find conflict. So you decide, okay, where do you want the small town to be? As an example, we'll say this is, uh, no, we'll, we'll use the first town they started in the campaign, Stillben. Ben. I built as a swamp town. Uh, it is a port town, but it's built in this, this clutch center portion of a large swamp to the far east of that continent. So you're like, okay, it's a swamp town.
1: How big is it?
5: You think about it, you're Like, how many people do you think live there? Let's say maybe, maybe 600 people. It's not a huge town. It's not very happy living conditions because it's very humid there. The swamp air itself is not very enjoyable to be around, so it doesn't have a huge population. But those that do live there uh, consistently, they make a good living because they can live through this whole horrible living swamp experience and can, uh, can make use of the trade that comes through. So like, all right,
6: about 600 people or so. Today.
5: Then you start breaking down into what factions there might be in that city. Is there a a thieves' guild or or an element of of shadow in the town? Is there a merchant guild? Uh, Is there a builder's guild? Is there a sailor's guild? Think of what type of work would be available in this town. Uh, and you start building factions based on that. When you have a faction, then you can start fleshing out NPCs or non-player characters that fit in that faction. Is there a Thieves' Guild? How many people in the Thieves' Guild? Would it have a leader? You don't have to worry about fleshing out every single member of the Thieves' Guild, but consider like two or three main NPCs that might be part of that Thieves' Guild. So you can say, all right, one of them will be, uh, we'll say a, a female tiefling who's good with long swords. She's, she's trained into long swords. Like, all right, cool. So you can just write up her name, come up with a, with a random name, you can look up online for random NPC name generators, and write down her name. We'll say for this, she's taking her virtue name of uh,
10: Edge. We'll call her Edge. So Edge
5: is a female tiefling leader of the Thieves' Guild. Now, Edge. What about her? Aside from being good with long swords, is this a dynamic aspect of her personality. Well, is she ornery? Is she very sly and charismatic? Is she the kind of person that lets everyone else do the dirty work and just stays in the shadows, or does she like to be kind of the face man of the thieves guild? Can of just decide some sort of a personality aspect to her. Those are many other types. You can go ahead and say, "All right, we'll say she's she's charismatic." As some tieflings get a bonus in charisma, so she likes to be kind of the the speaking mouth of the thieves guild. So you'll say she's she's charismatic, she's well spoken, and she does well in social environments. A few quick notes about her personality, just to remind you later on if she pops up, how she would play out.
7: So
5: she's charismatic. Then you think, and this is one thing that I think every NPC you should write down some aspect of. What do they want, and what do they fear? You can make a shit ton of really simple NPCs with just the information of their name, what race and class they are, what they want, and what they fear. And that's all you really need to branch out any conversation or encounter they go through. So for Edge, what does Edge want? Edge wants respect and money. As the head of the so, so, so respect the money. As the head of the thieves' guild, those are the two things that guide her.
6: I guess
2: do the backgrounds
5: first. We'll get to that when you finish all the rest of this stuff. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. oh,
2: we're doing backgrounds we're doing, now. Doing backgrounds.
5: Well, you can do backgrounds on your way then. Oh. We'll go through it. It's fine. Yeah,
2: so do it. That's do it right. the backgrounds.
5: It's fine. So, so she, she wants respect and money. What does she fear? She fears being exposed <laughs> yes. to the masses for her demonic blood knowing that this is a suspicious town. You can go that route. Or you could say she fears being discovered by her long-estranged demonic father. Or you could say that she fears uh, she fears being alone, and she surrounds herself by thieves and, and, and folk that fear her because it allows herself to, to, to feel like she's in control of an aspect of her life. These are all different possible fears you can go with. I'm going to say she fears being found by her demonic father. And so those notes there say she's a female tiefling, she's a rogue with long swords, she seeks money and respect, she fears being discovered by her demonic fault. These are all you need to now play that character, and you just can put those notes aside, and if the players ever find their way in that town, asking around and discovering where a thieves' guild might be, or to finding where like, they can find a fence to sell stolen goods to, or to find information about the seedy underbelly of, of the nearby town of Stillbend in this swamp, They might find different people willing to give them information, depending on how their social roles are, if they're persuading well, or if persuasion doesn't work,
8: you can intimidate
5: the information out of somebody, in which they scare someone enough to eventually give up a name, and they'll say, Edge, Edge is the one you want to talk to. When they ask around and start finding more information about Edge, they could decide to infiltrate the Thieves' Guild and find her personal. That might be a little aggressive, and you consider if a person breaks into a Thieves' Guild, the Thieves' Guild will take that as a sign of aggression and will probably meet them with that. If they instead try and find a member of the Thieves' Guild and parlay with them, they could persuade them to speak to Edge on their behalf, in which case they might actually have the opportunity of speaking with her one-to-one in a not-quite-as-aggressive circumstance. It can go any which way, and that's kind of the the interesting part of being a dungeon master is you never know what the players are going to do. You set up these characters, you set up this world, and you kind of let them play, and all you're doing is reacting to everything they do, rationalizing how the world would react to what they're doing. So let's say the players are like, okay, they, they asked around, they found somebody who did some work with the Thieves' Guild, they intimidated some information out of them about Edge, you then find somebody you think maybe be associated with the Thieves' Guild, and you pay them a lot of money and persuade them to go ahead and speak to Edge on their behalf, asking that she would meet with you at this inn, at this time. A party then goes to that inn room and waits for a while. Over a short period of time, it seems like she's not going to show up. Based on how you think she would react to that experience, I'd say she she is curious enough that someone sought her out that she would want to hear what they have to say, because there might be money in it. Um, Let's say the party has gained some renown in the local village. Perhaps she wants to align herself with these upcoming adventurers. There's always money to be gained there. So you have her knock on the door. As the party enters the door, there's nobody there. But at that same moment, they hear the sliding of glass, turn around, notice that she slipped into the back window and is now leaning against the back wall with her arms crossed, waiting expectantly for them to start the conversation, since they so uh, openly sought her existence. So now they're in a conversation with Edge. You can decide how to play their personality. If you want her to be as charismatic as you said before, she would bow deeply. You could say that she was happy to introduce herself, and while hearing some things about the party, she's eager to to understand what it is they might have to do with her. Let the party explain now what it is that they want from her. Then you decide, does it fall within the respect and money she wants? She could tell them, I'll help you with this circumstance as long as you pay me as much. Or conversely, I'll help you with this as long as you can talk to so-and-so in the town and get them to drop this bounty on my head. You know, you think of what things would fall into her wants and needs the party could do for her, and in turn could help them. However, if they've talked around the town, they they may notice that she has demonic lineage, and they might bring it up in conversation and see her reaction. She might be very good at hiding that aspect, she might be able to, you know, to say, "Uh, well, yes, I'm, I'm a tiefling indeed, but, you know, that is not of my own doing." The players can then go, "Huh, she seems uncomfortable. I'm going to roll an insight check on this." Then roll an insight check. They roll a d20, adding their insight skill. The DM, then you privately would go ahead and roll a uh, a deception roll. Or, or persuasion roll, depending on what you thought was the circumstance for that, versus their role and let them know what they read off of her awkwardness. If they roll really low, you'd be like, she just seems put off by the fact that you've never seen a tiefling. If they roll really well, you could tell them that at the, mo- the notion of tiefling and demonic blood, she fidgets and looks over her shoulder, seemingly like she's afraid something's following her. Then the party can press her in that regard, and begin to say things like, well, if you aren't going to help us, we have a warlock friend who does dealings with the Infernal, and we know your name now. If there's someone chasing you, you know we can call them on you unless you help us. Now it becomes, as opposed to a persuasion, it becomes an intimidation-based experience. And if they can manage to convince her to help out of sheer intimidation, and fearing for what she doesn't want to happen, she becomes an ally, although a much more tenuous relationship. So that's an NPC that I just made up right now and fleshed out. But really, the basis you need for an NPC to build off any of those circumstances is a name, the race and class, uh, what they want, what they fear. Those are uh, those are some of the biggest things you need to go anywhere. Everything else can be improvised on the spot. Like I said, it's all reactionary as, an, as, a, as a, a DM, which is great, because once you set the world, the players drive the story, and you just react off what they're doing, and rationalize how the world would react to it. Um, I understand it's a lot of information up front, but uh, I'm trying to get as much information into this talk as I can, because we have a limited time. And uh, uh, I've had a lot of questions today I'm trying to get through for you guys. So I hope this has been helpful. We'll get to questions in a second so I can answer things specifically to you. Um, so that's, a, that's an NPC you can create. You can create the same way for like a local cleric. A barkeep, you could be, like, his race, he could be a dwarven barkeep. He's not even a fighter, or maybe he once was a fighter, but he gave up the life, he used his, his winnings in a, uh, some sort of a brawling ring when he was younger to buy this tavern, and that's all it really does but he's well-connected and has information. What are his his wants? He wants money, Um, but he also wants to possibly purchase a tavern across the town that is failing that he thinks could expand his business. What does he fear? Being closed down or possibly getting arrested because there's maybe some things he did in his past that are a little shady that he hoped nobody would remember. So now when someone talks about Innkeep, there are many different ways they can take that conversation and many different little ideas you might have as gives as to what they're seeking and what they're afraid of. And those are just cool little notes you make to yourself down the road that if they ever decide to enter that tavern and talk to that NPC, you look down and you immediately know where they stand, what they want, what they don't want, and how they can help or hinder the NPC, or these players, based on what they do. So that's building a very small town and a small NPC. You flesh out a couple, and then you build off from there. And it takes some time. You know, you can crank out a few NPCs, and you can railroad it as much as you want to. If you don't want to spend a lot of time building a big sandbox game for all your players, you can play a pretty standard, straightforward story. You can decide the players are going to go to this tavern. The players are going to go to this, uh, you know, this home here. They're going to go to this one merchantile, uh, this this kind of textile warehouse where they're going to find a hidden. Uh, underground passage that leads to an altar to some forgotten God. in which case you can decide no matter what happens, you can send the players that let them wander a bit and have fun, but let them know very early in you hear that there is some some shaky business going on in this town. People in the tavern are whispering about these murders that have been happening in the village. you're like, huh, they'll start asking about the murders. That's when you can point them towards well, we've only heard uh, you know that these people have been being killed, one passing around this part of town and they arrested one man last week. He was let go from the suspicions, and he lives at this house. Now the players are like, oh, well, we have to go talk to the guy at that house. You lead him to that house. They go talk to the guy, the guy might be like, I don't know what you're talking about. You press him for information, you find out that he used to work for this, this textile business, and he. eventually you can either drive, that he helped with these murders, or that he knows who is, and they work with this merchant time. Then now you send them straight to this this warehouse that contains all this, this, this you know, cloth and and textile woodwork-type uh, materials. They might break inside, search the place, find nothing, but if they roll well enough, they'll find the trapdoor that leads down into the altar. So that was an example of a very, very thorough line to a story that you could drive them towards and let them play within that zone. Um, if you have a lot of free time, you could build that. You could build one storyline that deals with one of the local lords that is in danger of having his his home completely taken by him because of debt. Or you can do another side story at the same time that has something to do with uh, uh, a local inn that their basement has recently had a sinkhole collapse underneath the bottom of it that opened up a cavern of a bunch of strange, mutated you know, rats that are coming out of some terrible-smelling cavern. And all these can be just aspects that are in the town at all given points in time the players may find and you let them discover that. It still takes a little more time to prepare that, but that's up to you as a DM as to how much your free time is and how much you can prepare for. Um, you know, Don't be afraid to, if you don't have a lot of time, to railroad the players a little bit, as long as you make them feel like they're in control of it. And they are in control of it, too. And I've had a lot of games where I've prepared a bunch and the players decided to go this way and completely you know, get around everything I prepared and it turns into this big um, improvisation experience. And that can be very uncomfortable for a lot of people that aren't Experience a lot of improv. And that's where preparation comes in and kind of your comfort as a DM. I recommend if you're playing and DMing or GMing a game for the first time, maybe run them through a story that's a little more uh, linear, a little more direct, so you just get more comfortable with the experience. Both combat with the players, uh, more experience with how NPCs interact with them, and being prepared for those circumstances. Then, as you have more experience as a GM or DM, you can begin to be a little more freeform with your storytelling setup and letting the players kind of play in that sandbox that is the world you've created. So, uh, those are some guidelines for like a small village. Uh, the factions are fun to create because you can have factions that are allied, factions that are enemies, and that automatically leads in a really cool idea for some story hooks, where you have maybe the thieves' guild has a huge uh, rivalry with the with the mages' academy. One believes that you know shadows is a real way to get business done in the local uh, politics, whereas the, the mages feel that it's more of an arcane understanding, that both you know, sociopolitical aspects can be controlled by the arcane. Maybe you have one plays against the other the players can choose a faction to align with and there's a whole quest line that way, but now they've made enemies with the opposite faction and now they're having to steer clear of their side. Or they can try and double agent for both, but if that ends up going horribly awry, they now have earned the anger of both sides and might have to flee the town and never return. So these are all different cool ways that you can set up faction versus faction or faction working together uh, to give the players story and investment in the world that you're creating. Now, from that small town, you can build an even larger city. Meaning, all those same elements I discussed—you just expand upon You build more NPCs. You build an entire district that is shops and stores, maybe even a giant bazaar. Uh, you can create a whole district that is just about worship of different gods and deities, uh, and you have different temples assigned to each god. And, and you can find—you can use the gods that are in the book. You can create your own gods that have their own. Uh, backgrounds and, and specialties, and, and and you know, guiding principles and religions around that. It's up to you. But as you build a larger city, you have to consider how many different people and cultures it's now having to house and uh, facilitate. So it's a little more of, of a time investment to build a city that that much large, uh, that much larger. But, uh, but it's a really cool experience to then have the players wander through that and continue to discover. Like the main city of Iman, which you guys have heard about a little a little bit of and I'm sure we'll come back to soon in the campaign, you guys will have the opportunity to see it in person, is a vast city, uh, much like the classic Baldur's Gate or uh, Neverwinter. It's, it's, it's the central capital city of, of this entire uh, region. And it is, they've only maybe experienced a fifth of it after a whole year, almost an entire year of exploring it. So there are a lot of examples of of that urban expansion that they can go through. And to be perfectly honest, I've detailed and fleshed out maybe about a third of the village with loose notes for all the rest. So if suddenly one of the players veered right again and decided to go all the way to the far northern slums, which I had nothing really specifically planned for, I can look through my notes and find out a handful of NPCs and some loose story elements that I made notes of about those northern slums, and I can kind of improvise based on those notes and where they want to go in the story to still make it a fleshed out story. And if it's a really heavy story thread that they're following, I can just find a way to tie it back into the original thread I was trying to tell, and not necessarily guide them back on the path, but have it still fold into the same story they've been discovering. you never quite know where they're gonna take you and sometimes the players take you on a ride and you just kinda of have to go with it. You don't wanna deny the players too much because you're all in this for that that storytelling experience and they want to feel like they're guiding their own path. If you force them too hard against their wishes in the game, then it feels more like the DM is playing in the game than the players are. And that becomes a very Continuous relationship going forward in a campaign. Um, The cool note is the players never know whether or not you're bullshitting or you had it all planned. So even if you go off the rails, as long as you have some notes, or are at least acting like you know what you're talking about, for the most part, you'll be fine. Um, I've had whole games that have gone by where I'm by the seat of my pants improvising, and I just don't know what's going to happen, and it works out in a really crazy way and finds a whole new story path. And you just don't tell the players that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun little aspect there. So we've talked about urban environments. We've talked about cities a bit. Uh, you know, should, in, in those cities, you want to also be mindful of what ruling class there is. Is it uh, is it an oligarchy? Is it a lordship? Is there is it a kingdom? Is is there an elected official? Is it a township? And that that political structure will also be a very very good. Uh, way to build those factions below it as well. So the larger your city is, the more elements of that social structure you have to consider and how many layers there are beneath it. Is it a very wealthy city universally? Is there a very, very you know, high disparity between the upper class and the lower class? Um, these are all really cool ways to, to flesh it out and give you ideas on where NPCs can be and where tension is in that society. Also, remember, just because you're in a city doesn't mean there aren't dungeons. Castles and keeps have dungeons. Some cities are built on the ruins of older, older cities that may have underground cavern networks that have been long forgotten, or tombs that haven't been touched in years since a strange uh, wave of necromantic energy began to rise things from the grave and they had to seal it off but who knows what lurks beneath there. Or, like earlier, that tavern I told you about that had a strange sinkhole. That's a really cool story arc to lead into an underground cavern network to something that may have caused the sinkhole. Something long forgotten beneath that inn that now threatens the inn, or possibly the town its entire self. You know, don't be afraid to have players in a city environment still find creepy, interesting, weird uh, terrain within that same environment. In Iman, the players managed to fall through uh, a cistern into a deep, dark, underground cavern network that led them through uh, an ancient ruined city, finding a hag that uh, managed to make a a proposition with them. Whereas for information, uh, leading them out, she took a bit of Tiberius's luck. He still doesn't know what that means, and it still floats above his head. I think he's forgotten about it, but a portion of his fortune has been stolen by this hag uh, and still resides in that realm. So, Urban environments can be urban, but don't be afraid to explore avenues above and below.
10: How
5: are so, we doing? How are we doing?
2: Pretty good. Same we cool,
10: awesome. we
5: cool. Cool bit. I'm going to finish up here real fast um, with uh, some other ideas. So those are cities, those are towns. What makes them so special is in the D&D world and in a lot of RPG worlds, outside of those bastions of civilization is a very dangerous world and you can change that up however you see fit, but I find that it definitely makes for a better environment if the players understand that in the wild, you find things that are wild. There are creatures that roam free, there are monsters and beasts that call these places home and need to eat and survive. There are intelligent entities that are building their own uh, civilizations in the darkest depths of the mountains or in the the shadowed patches of the local forests. And uh, going outside of a town, most like traveling caravans need to have muscled support hired to come along the way. If you travel alone, there's always the possibility of bandits ratsacking you on the road, or some sort of large hulking beast come tumbling out of a nearby cavern structure and attacking the you know the people. There's there's so many different ways that you can incorporate a dangerous wild world around these bastions of society, these little points of light. Um, that makes the game feel more dangerous, it heightens the stakes for the players whenever they have to travel, and it makes returning to a town that much more of a breath of fresh air. Um, Then consider villains. Villains uh, are NPCs that inherently have very selfish goals that are detrimental to society at large and or the players. Kavarn being the big bad of the recent arc, he is definitively one of the main villains, not the main villain of this arc. Um, you can create villains that are kind of one-offs like this. They eventually found Kavarn and they killed him. You can create villains that are longstanding and recurring. Like earlier in the campaign, the Dread Emperor was always present, but they didn't even manage to find him until the very end. But was a recurring theme throughout to kind of build that tension about that villain. And not all villains get killed. Some villains, when they're damaged, they get the heck out of dodge and return later, even more prepared and more ready. You know, But sometimes the players will be clever and keep them in there, and don't don't deny the players if they're really smart and prevent your villain from escaping when he tries to. Because um, you don't want to, you want to reward the players for being really smart. Remember, good villains are also very smart, and usually have a pretty strong exit strategy if everything goes to shit. Um, so villains are a really cool thing to flesh out. Their their persona and their personality, you can look at a lot of great uh, literary archetypes that can expand on that for you. Consider, like, you consider know, the chaotic evil-type villain, which is the Joker from Batman, someone who just like loves the idea of violence and, 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 and destruction and ruining the world around them for their own personal enjoyment and personal gain. You have the lawful evil villain, more the Darth Vader types that work in a structure of law but use it to their advantage. They twist people's uh, ideals of, of honor and society and relationships to put them in a position of power in which no one can really contradict what they say Goes and through that they maintain power and they maintain control over people around them. Then you have uh, just generally evil. You have all, all sorts of different types of evil archetypes you can play with in there. Um, but have fun fleshing out a villain and having them be as sadistic or as controlling or as charismatic and 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 uh, enjoyable for the players to encounter as much as they hate them. You know you can have a vast variety from there. But, but recurring villains are a fun theme and generally up. The experience more than just having a big bad every session that they go in and kill, get the loot, and leave. You know, it's fun to have that recurring element. Um, I'm gonna cruise through a couple points here for you guys, uh, so we can start getting to these guys to playing here or any questions they have for the story. Um, story hooks. Story hooks are essentially what gets the players to start seeking the story. And there's a lot of great examples in the Dungeon Master's Guide here. If you guys pick up a copy. Um, that explains a lot of different ideals of how you can get the players invested in your story. Let's see if I'm find it real fast back here, but essentially a story hook would be when they enter a tavern, they notice that someone in the corner is hunched over and eventually falls forward off their stool. The party goes and inspects and finds out that they've been stabbed and are bleeding out. And in their dying words, as they reach up to the player, they whisper a name. Like, oh, shit, that name, what does that mean? And someone in the room's like, that name, that's the name of uh, the leader of, of this this one temple of of uh, Pelor, the god of the the sun, the god of light. Okay, well, the players now have the idea that someone got murdered and their last words were the name of this person. Let's go find out what their relationship was. That's a story hook. Someone got murdered mysteriously and you only have a name to go off of. That's an example of a cool story hook that the players might be interested in pursuing. Some players might be, huh, fucker died, whatever. And that story hook goes away, but that's up to the players and that's going to put them in the territory of being a little more neutral to evil than good players. So if they make good characters and they do stuff like that repeatedly, they start, might start pushing into the evil territory and maybe drawing the ire of other NPCs nearby that are good. If the captain of the guard rushes in and inspects, what happened to this man? And you're like, I don't know, he dies, like, mm, I don't like the look of these people that don't care about the lives of others. And maybe going forward, whenever they encounter the captain of the guard, he immediately mistrusts the party. And they've already established that relationship negatively. Um, so let's see what some other good examples of story hooks they have here in the book. 71 and 72, let's see if they got that up. All right, bear with me as I pen through. And like, oh, there's a lot of great breakdowns for villains and NPCs and stuff in the player's handbook, guys. If you're playing a dungeon master a game, I highly recommend you read through. It's a really, really great resource. Uh, all right,
4: 71. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back.
5: So, there are a bunch of uh, cool like dungeon goals and wilderness goals, like foil a villain's evil scheme, destroy a magical threat inside a dungeon, acquire a treasure, rescue a captive. These are cool dungeon goals. They have it broken down into wilderness goals as well, like establish trade with a distant town, map a new land, find a natural resource, escape the reign of a tyrant. And you have other cool ideas for goals. Defending a location from attackers, retrieving an object from a caravan, Infiltrate a fortified location. Successfully travel through an obstacle course to gain recognition or reward. These are all very loose, very simple uh, story hooks and, and goals that you can then weave a story around based on how you built your town and you built your NPCs. So don't be afraid to go ahead and grab a copy of these. Uh, this can kind of use this as an example if you're feeling a little lost with your story. You can actually just roll randomly on these things and be like, "All right, what are they doing today? Oh well, uh, looks like they're infiltrating a fortified location. Let me come up with some bullshit that I, that you know." justifies what they're doing. So you can technically DM a game randomly by just rolling off these and and improvising from that point forward. That's a little more of an advanced Dungeon Master technique, if you really feel like just winging it from there. But that's a a really cool resource to have at your disposal. Another question, or another thing I wanted to bring up with you guys was encounters. So when you do get into battle, or when players encounter creatures or monsters or or villain characters and they want to fight, you then go into an encounter. And you want to consider when you provide when you prepare for encounters, you think, where are they? Are they fighting in a dungeon? Are they fighting in a forest? Are they fighting in a swamp? Are they fighting in an open plain? And you go through a book like the Dungeon Master's, or the, sorry, the Monster Manual, and find creatures that you think would live in that type of topography. So if they're in an open field, you can think of more wild beasts, or uh, you know, maybe clans of roaming orcs. If they're in uh, deep, deep mountains, you can find creatures that burrow and naturally live in more earthy-based terrain. And You build encounters around that. Uh, There are some really great websites online that have uh, encounter calculators where you can basically tell how difficult an encounter is based on how many players are in the party, what level they are, and you can build the encounter based on that. That way you don't end up accidentally making something that's too difficult or too easy for the party. You don't want to make everything too hard. Some battles can be fun and easy and really kind of have the players enjoy being badass and rushing into combat and just killing things really easily and being, ha ha, I ruined everything. That's great, I am powerful. Then you can have some battles that are pretty, whew, that was close, that was was a good fight. Then occasionally you want to throw them a curveball and have something they really have to struggle through. So when they finish that battle, they really have to take rest and realize, we almost lost one or more people in that fight. And that makes the stakes that much higher at that point. But you don't want to constantly be hitting them with super hard battles. You don't want to be making things consistently too easy because it isn't a fun challenge for them. Um, And consider terrain for combat, too. Not every battle is just you versus monsters. Sometimes there's a big cliff involved and the battle could be at a distance. Sometimes there's pits of lava in the middle. That becomes a danger or a tool, depending on how you look at it, during the battle. Sometimes, especially in urban combat, you have rooftops and alleyways in which you can use that to your advantage to avoid things or push guys off a roof to fall and get hurt or fall onto things. You know, There can be traps involved that you know are there that you can then push guys into. There's a really cool way of building encounters that are beyond just hitting things and doing damage, which is fine too, don't get me wrong. Um, also, if there's a monster in the Monster Manual that you like, you're like, this is a really cool monster, but it's too easy. Like, the players are all level 10 and this is a level three monster. You can customize the monster. You can make the monster more powerful, add more hit points, raise the stats a little more, give it a couple of unique attacks that you think would be fitting for it. If you don't like the fact that uh, the bullet only really has like a bite and a stomp attack, maybe you decide that this bullet actually uh, grew up or was raised around some sort of arcane, uh, natural arcane relic that infused it with a resistance to magic and the capability that it has like electrical charges around it. And now, when everyone, whenever anyone starts their turn next to it, they get shocked an electric bullet. That's kind of cool. Why not? You can customize and alter any aspect of any creature in the book. Once again, all guidelines. You can go with the basis here, and it's a lot easier if you don't have a lot of time. But don't be afraid to customize and alter things to fit certain aspects of your world or your story as you see fit. It's great. I had the, play- I had the players in this campaign fight a proto-lich when they were level three or four. Liches will wipe the floor with pretty much anything. But I considered it would be cool to introduce that powerful undead aspect if it was like, just barely cresting out of its initial ritual to become a lich, in which case it was in a very weakened state. So if they'd waited a day or two, that lich would have ruined them. It was still a tough battle, but they caught it when it was still kind of essentially birthing, which made it a very, very weak lich. That's not in the books, I just took what was there and scaled it way back. And it made for a really fun encounter. So all guidelines, you can customize as you see fit. And there are great communities online of people that create creatures and beasts and have suggestions or feedback for anything you create. Don't be afraid to reach out there. Once again, I apologize, there's a lot of information up front, but trying to squeeze this in for you. Also, maps. You see in Critical Role, we do combat with maps that we draw up of uh, terrain, and we have everyone has individual models, and the creatures have models. Uh, that is not necessary. I've found it's very helpful for our campaign because we have eight players, which makes it very difficult for everyone to keep in mind spatial awareness during the battle, who's who, and what they're doing, and how close monsters are. Um, I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and other RPGs without maps or models at all. It's all the theater of the mind, all in the, all in the brain, which is a lot of fun. But when you get a certain critical mass of players, it becomes unwieldy. So the models became necessary for us. But what we're doing tonight when we play our game, it's going to be no battlefield, no, no models. It's all going to be just keeping it in your head and me letting you know what's happening and where you guys are. So don't feel like it's absolutely necessary to do that. I just find it makes it easier when you have more players. Uh, And it's fun to draw maps. Sometimes it's a lot of fun to do that. Um, Another question that's come up a lot, experience points. So, monsters that are killed or defeated in battle give you experience points. They don't necessarily have to be killed to get that experience points. The players still win the encounter, meaning they force them to surrender, or they manage to fight them to the point where they have to retreat. That is still a victory, and the players should still get the experience for that encounter. You may give them a bonus if it's a big boss fight and they killed it and they get to the rewards of it. That's cool, that's totally up to you as a DM. But, uh, you know, if they still successfully complete an encounter, they still get the experience. If they flee from an encounter and the players technically lost the battle, you can still give them a little bit of experience and they gain from that, but it would be largely docked by that. And that's totally up to you. So that's combat experience. What about role-playing experience? That's arbitrary based on what you want to do as a DM. You can just write down, well, that's cool, make it 500 experience for that social encounter. You can make it up on the spot. And I recommend keeping an eye on what level the players are and what the experience values are for each level so you know how much they need to get to the next level. That allows you to kind of build a a structure. Now for me, to keep track of role-playing experience, it's an endeavor with eight players. So what I do is I have what I call a hatch marks uh, uh, system, where whenever anybody does something In the game that is a cool role-playing experience, or they save a circumstance, I'll give them a hatch mark next to their name, or multiple hatch marks if it was really, really clutch and really kind of changed the dynamic of the circumstance and saved their bacon. Or if they failed miserably at something, but they gave it a really, really good try and it was a cool idea, I might still give them a hatch mark or two because it was a good shot. And so at the end of each game, I have a a, kind of an equation for myself where I multiply their level by 25. So right now, they're all level 10, it would be 250 experience, and that's. I give them that many, uh, I multiply by them the number of hatch marks they get. So if somebody gets three hatch marks in a game right now, they would get an additional 750 experience points at the end of, the, of that session based on their role playing experience. So that way, I don't have to think too much about the math in the game. I just go, that's cool, hatch mark. That was really cool. Hatch mark, hatch mark, hatch mark. And then at the end of each session, I'll go ahead and Multiply the level by 25, and then multiply that by how many hatch marks I've given them, and that's their total role playing experience. That's worked well for me. It's not for everyone. But uh, I think it's, it's a good way to quickly add up those moments and make sure the players don't feel uh, like you're slowing it down to keep track of who's done cool shit. Um, that's a really condensed overview of dungeon mastering. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> An hour later. <laughs> They've asked
5: me a lot of questions yeah. via Twitter and that's kind of what I built this up for. So I apologize for you guys. Thank you for being patient. Um, we're gonna take a couple questions from the chat room and then we're gonna go ahead and start the game here in about 15, 20 minutes or so.
11: Okay. Oh, yeah. Make it work, yeah.
5: So um as I said I hope it's a lot of information for you guys, but dungeon mastering it's it's a lot of fun. It takes some time. You have to kind of set set aside some time. I say generally it takes about an hour of gameplay per hour of preparation. So if it's going to be a six hour session, it might take anywhere from three to six hours to set up for that properly. But it doesn't have to be that long. That's just me being super thorough, which I'm obsessive about. Um, but yeah, be open to improvise. Be open to let the players play and let them guide you sometimes in, a, in an off direction, and have fun. Let the players be heroes. Let them try anything. Just know that if what they're trying is really ridiculous, they have a really, really low chance of succeeding. And most of the time they'll fail, and it's a spectacular failure, and you'll all laugh about it. If they succeed that role, that is an epic fucking moment that you're all gonna remember because that player pulled off that, like, you know, third act amazing maneuver that completely changed the dynamic of the story. And that's really what this game's all about. I still remember and tell stories from our campaign like it was something we all personally did and experienced. It's really weird. It's weird, I love it, but it's weird. Um, so I, I love it, playing the game is great, learning the rules is great, dungeon mastering is a lot of fun. It's scary at first, but I, t- I guarantee you, with a little bit of time, it's really rewarding, and it's really, really not that hard at all. Um, so yes. Uh, let's, let's answer a few questions in the chat room guys. We'll see if we can chime in on this. We'll take about 10 minutes of this and then we'll jump into the game with you folks. Once again, thank you for your Sick. Thank you for your patience. So we ready. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty, uh, we're
1: I'm pretty
2: stoked for the characters. Yeah, we're ready. Well, yeah, I'm excited. We got some good stuff going. Got some very got some good, good stuff. stuff yeah. Going Actually, as a note it? to remind you
5: guys too. one mm. of the cool things about 5th edition, uh, two the things they did. One, they got rid of a lot of the floating modifiers that previous editions had. Like, you know, Pathfinder was one that was a great system, but I, I found in battle, especially with a lot of players, you'd be like, all right, so I get plus one to hit and damage from the blessed spell, but then the bard gives everyone plus two to hit and damage, or no, it's just hit, no, it's hit and damage, okay, and then you're given <laughs> yes. a plus one from that ability, but only within 10-10 damage. Don't feet forget enhance right,
2: ability! Right, enhance enhanced All right, so it's not a plus hey, two from the. Hey! I, hey, oh don't shit. forget! Okay, so
0: it's, hey! It's
5: a plus seven to hit, plus, plus nine to damage on that. Hunter's
2: Mark! Oh, Hunter's Mark!
5: Hunter's <laughs> Mark! Yeah, Hunter's Mark! Yeah, Mark! Hunter's Mark! We still have that problem, but that's Laura. Yeah. But that became an issue with a lot of big battles, I found, especially with eight players. So they've simplified that in this edition. Most modifiers to hit and damage are pretty consistent. You don't have a a lot of crazy things. What they do have is advantage and disadvantage. If an experience or a circumstance in the game puts you in an, an advantageous position, you get to roll two d20s and drop the lowest. So you get the higher of the two rolls. If you have disadvantage, you have to roll two d20 and drop the highest, which is rough. So that's a really simplified way of kind of playing spells to give you the advantage, uh, or give enemies disadvantage in that circumstance, which is great. Another big thing to consider uh, for 5th for edition is, uh, and you guys went over a little bit, backgrounds. Not necessary. Players that are new to the game might find it very interesting, but when you ask about your character's background and what they've done, where they come from, and how that builds them as a character, you can completely come up with whatever you want to. You can say, they came from this background, they did these things, and this is all in my head, and how I plan the character. Some people either are having a little bit of writer's block with their character, or they don't know where to start, or they just don't have a lot of experience. There's a great section in the New Player's Handbook about backgrounds, which you get to choose where your character comes from, where they grew up. They can be a folk hero, they can be a charlatan, they can be an acolyte, they can be a soldier from a a war-long past, they can be an entertainer, and that gives them bonus proficiencies in their skills that pertain to their background, and it gives you examples of certain personality traits that you can choose or randomly roll from. For example, you go to the background section of the player's handbook over here, you can find, uh, where is it?
2: Actually, Dan made his character with his background this way, it's so we can just hear about his background. All right, so let's go yeah. and hear about your As background, an example. Dan. example. No. All right. <clears throat> and he did roll a dice to randomly generate it. I did. I
7: rolled. Di- <clears throat> I generated it randomly, on right. the appropriate page. So I'm Salty Pete, the first mate of the Obsidian Helen, a sailor by trade, <laughs> a scoundrel by nature. <laughs> 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 the captain gambled with the ship. So I fed him to a long-baked squid with razor-sharp teeth. <laughs> <clears throat> Spent times on pontoon, cigarette boats, skiffs, whoring, snoring, and deploring across the land. <laughs> I'm married to the sea, but my best friend is a hermit crab named Terence.
8: <laughs>
7: <laughs> the only leftover I have from the Helen is her flag, which I wear like a cape. Nice. nice. I bit many friends over a buttery glass of Chardonnay, sailor's <laughs> choice. <laughs> but I've lost many more. If you step to me, you best come correct. <laughs> i want on a quest to regain the Helen. I play for pink slips. Yes! Looking for clues at the bottom of a glass. Oh, you bet your ass I did. <laughs> and now I fell in with a fell warlock named the Snuggle Lord.
5: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <nice. laughs> Bravo. And all of that right. was based on randomly generated information in the background section. And you look he, here, he
2: clearly flushed it out, fleshed which it was out. incredible. I added some flesh. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. but, it you, but it gives
7: you a great basis to build off of. Mm-hmm. Like, I assume you were the sailor. Yeah, I went for the sailor archetype. It's super cool, because I, I really like stuff like that back when I used to do campaigns, mm-hmm. because it gives you a great basis just for you know, if you're not sure what you want to do with your character, it gives you good branching off points, and then you can just sort of add meat to that skeleton. Yep. Well, it, it's also
9: one of the questions I hear from, like, people who haven't played the game before when you first start with character creation is they're like, well, what are the rules on what I can be? And yeah. kind of trying to get them out of that, there, there are no you can don't be any rules. They're what do you want to be? Believe in yourself. This is like, this gives them a little set of rules that they can kind of yeah. grasp onto yeah. desperately yeah. for,
1: like, their we'll never, Some of
2: my favorite, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, we'll never
1: forget when I'm eating chicken. I'll go first,
2: some of my favorite uh, characters that I've played with have all been uh, people who decided what they wanted to be first and then picked a race and a class around what they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So our good friend Paradox really wanted to be a, like a roadie who, he wanted to be a roadie, (laughs) essentially like a traveling circus who was like the curtain guy for all these bands and he, so he made a monk who had these ropes, and he had a whip, and all of his abilities, he would grapple people and tie people up with his ropes, and that was like way he and he based he had Perfect an idea first, and then built the character around it. So because the system is so flexible, you can it'll allow you to be pretty much anything you want to be. Yeah. So I mean, one of the things that like in Pathfinder, there's like a, you can make like a geisha dancer. Who like did damage with fans? So you can pretty much be whatever, and then figure it out. And
5: there. if it's not in the books, you can create it. You can build it. We made we made the gunslinger off yeah. Pathfinder under here for that. Okay. So like, it's totally open. And, and the backgrounds are a great way. Like they have a whole section for personality traits, and you can roll for a personality trait or multiple. And idea uh, ideals, so things that really drive your character in their life. Bonds, things that really hold them, you know, via loyalty or to an ideal. Uh, beyond that, and then flaws, which I love. A character flag right here, I rolled a two as a sailor. I'd say anything to avoid having to do extra work. It's a great flaw for a sailor. Probably not great for his work ethic, but you know. Uh, but those are really useful things, so the background is a really cool addition for those who want a jumping point for building their character's personality. All uh, right, let's answer a few questions in the chat while we're going about this.
10: Uh, Manu's asked, uh, how do you handle magical items?
5: How do you handle magical items? Uh, very carefully. Very carefully. <laughs> uh, the Dungeon Master Guide actually has a really good breakdown about, in the magical items section about the cost and rarity of, we- of magical items. Um, so I'm going to pull it up here real fast. There's common, common magical items cost between 50 to 100 gold pieces. And it says character level first or higher. Uncommon, also first to higher, but around 100 to 500 gold pieces. Rare magical items are from fifth level or higher and around 500 to 5,000 gold pieces then very rare, and then legendary, which get higher and higher from there. Legendary being 50,000 gold pieces and and more. Um, And so that helps you kind of gauge how easy or hard it is for players to find something of that level. And each one of the magical items in the book tells you if it's rare, uncommon, any of those types of circumstances. However, it gives you a range. So you as the GM or DM, you decide, based on how powerful the item is, how much it's worth, if the players wanted to sell it or buy it, Um, and generally you consider if players are selling magical items, they're selling lower than they would buy it from. Like any sort of pawn shop type thing. They might get a a quarter of what it's worth at a store, but if they're really charismatic and they're really good with their persuasion rolls, they might be able to get more money than that. Uh, Or conversely, lower the price of items they want to buy. Um, So you want to make sure you don't want to give out too many items throughout the campaign quickly because then the players either get too powerful, and then any items you give them down the road seem not as interesting or flippant. I like to run a campaign that has You know, occasional upgrades. It's a little slow trickle with bursts of good item use. That way, when they do find something truly magical, it's a, oh, nice, as opposed to oh, it's another boots. Who wants the boots? That's uh, I already got like three. You have that, you know. It becomes less interesting and less special to me. So I, I like to trickle them out, and keeping tabs on what players have, what they're missing, and then eventually kind of incorporate aspects that they they can upgrade their characters with down the road. Or they can create them for themselves. There are rules for creating magical items if they have an arcane practice to their class. Uh, we're, we're sponsored by a by a store in game too. You are sponsored yeah. by Gilmore's <laughs> Glorious Goods. Those of you, those of you
1: who have not been there. Oh yet. Oh my God! Oh, wow. I forgot
2: we're sponsored by, we sponsored. by Gilmore.
1: Eventually, you will all have the pleasure to meet Gilmore. Gilmore, Gilmore <laughs> fantastic! I love fantastic, Gilmore. Pal.
10: He's a little sweet on me.
6: F- Fancy mm-hmm. uh, Gilmore is a, he's a fan of he's back. Back, sweet in general. I don't think
10: we're back, so. <laughs> NSF Thermont asks: To what degree do you allow encourage the players to contribute to the world's lore? All right, so uh, how much
5: do I allow the players to contribute to the lore? For their character backgrounds, I like for them to contribute a lot about where they come from and what their stories are. Everyone's backgrounds you see in the opening videos, they wrote themselves, and then I take those and I incorporate that into the world that I'm creating. And occasionally, they'll cross paths with aspects of their personal history, and in the future, will as well. Some of them will just be breezing through encounters, some of them will actually find moments in the story that will directly be part of their personal goals. Um, that will, maybe we shall see. Um, but uh, I, I like the players to incorporate aspects of their history, but beyond that, I don't want them to, to flesh out too much of their current or future aspects of the world, because to them, that takes out some of the mystery. Um, what I think is great as a player is knowing where you came from and not knowing where you're going. So mm.
6: the, so like, for instance, Tiberius. Yeah, my, 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 a lot of you asked about my Mending Wheel.
2: the player part. Because
6: I've used that a bunch. <laughs> And the mending wheel is like part of something that Tiberius's uh, you know, personal quest is about that I wrote <clears> and gave to Matthews like this is like two years ago. Like yeah, it's like a, over two years. now. Yeah, yeah. so a wow, it's been a while. But um, I said here this is this is what his goals are. This is why he's traveling with the this this group uh, you know of of, of of people. And that is like when I found that thing, he doesn't make it, you know, very difficult, but he doesn't make it easy either. Like when when we came across it, there was this NPC, was this witch, right? So, and Ag, You heard me mention okay. her earlier. And um, mm. we had this interaction where he w- it was about something else, our main quest that we were doing. And she he said he was describing her place, and he, he said something something real. just and was listing things. So I was like, I, have, I was like, wait a minute, that's one of my things. I think I wrote about him, and you know, and I then as a Tiberius was inquired about it. Um, then that became a. a, a Conversation between me and the, and the NPC, and uh, I had to. I still. Does that apply now? Is that is that gone? The, no, that's not the,
2: the, Oh, no. The, oh, the piece that. of fortune you handed over? I had to no, negotiate
6: no. some of my fortune, which I still don't know what that means.
2: No, that's going to fuck us so hard one of these oh, days. It's um,
6: just but hurt. I had to give that to the, the witch NPC uh, in exchange for the wheel of mending, which is like a very important thing in my quest. So, and, it's, and it's been helpful for everybody. It's been helpful. It's great. It's been great. It's it's great. great. It's, it's been great. And, one of these and,
2: days, though, you're going to like get a.
6: Really like, you're gonna like a 20 something,
2: something terrible but no,
6: the cool thing is I didn't describe what the wheel did I, I named what they were and Matthew then decided if it a if it was existed B, what it did and what it what, what it could have you know how it worked all that stuff so that's it, it's, it's yeah having you know, having
9: details but having the DM Giving the DM discretion to, to decide
5: how it plays out yeah. is really awesome.
6: Yeah, because yeah. then I'm surprised, and it's something that I'm expecting to see, and I'm still surprised. And like, like
5: for instance, uh, the, the city you came from, Draconia. Right. Uh, the, the, the society you've given me a lot of information about how you grew up there and kind of how you saw the society, and then you sent me that outline, and now I'm taking what you had come up with and I'm fleshing it out and building it into the world, and then running with that essentially. So. Tiberius's memory serves right to what his experiences was to Draconia. We'll see how that continues going forward when he eventually returns to his people. So, uh, I, and
2: I did something similar with like my four tribes of right. the Ashari. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got I've got the fire tribe and the earth tribe and the air tribe and the water tribe. Uh, but I, from Keyless's perspective, I I'm from the air tribe. I don't really know a whole lot about the other ones. They're there. So I gave him the idea of the tribes and the backstory that they exist and how he's. It
10: off. Yeah,
9: I'm like I don't know what the people who <laughs> came to, to, to my parents' castle wanted. They were looking for something, and I, like I gave him details on what they were doing, but not necessarily what it was all about because I don't know. But he knows because mm-hmm. he gets to he gets to figure that out. Yeah,
1: it's Laura, fun. Laura and I spent three hours in a diner, fleshing out our family history.
2: That's was so great.
1: That no, great.
5: Then yeah. you then you ran into your.
6: Yeah, a that was like father me and
2: his
5: new family. Oh, that was so
9: yeah.
6: great. Right into their, right into their, their father was like a big part of one of our main, <laughs> my main quests. It was it was the yeah. it same. Was, it was yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, very frosty. Cool.
10: Yeah. <clears throat> Skyfall's one asked this specific about Trinket. I'm just gonna generalize the question. Um, how the do you show. handle player controlled allies and their level progression? Are they part of the character who controls that ally, such as Trinket being the bear right. a familiar or something, or do they have their own independent leveling guide?
5: Uh, the, for, for this system, and it's different from system to system. In this system, that companion Trinket is part of the ranger class, uh, the beastmaster that, that Laura went into, and Trinket's progression is tied towards her progression. As her level gets higher, uh, Trinket will have more hit points. Trinket will gain better bonuses to his attacks. As her proficiency bonus gets higher. So Trinket will advance pretty much alongside uh, Vag, or Vex. Um, you're not wearing your shirt. Sure.
8: <laughs> <laughs> you need to always just
5: wear that. No. So that yes, shirt the is going to get a tattoo. I'm usually very good about that. It's been a long week. Uh, I always say that. But yeah, so, so, so player-controlled PCs, like that, companions, those are tied to the class. Um, as far as NPCs that I control that aren't part of the party, um, those I keep tabs on separately entirely. So. So get a don't
2: soft. Is he if he's harmed? Don't don't nope. He needs uh, that. Uh, That's so uh, nice. Just some real uh, chill
7: LARPing. Put
6: it. Yeah.
2: Put it down. How will he make down, himself happy at night? The drop pistons. it. Yeah. Drop That's it. the good hand.
6: Well while we're waiting, I'd like to, I'd I'd to address way. like a couple of things that I've been tweeted at. About, <laughs> about uh, roleplay <laughs> And and what I think about roleplay <laughs> and how um I'm super hardcore about it. Um I, I always tell people uh, who's kind of like once like, my friends who like I have, I have no idea what that what that is, and I was like, it, the best I can explain how I role play is, as soon as I sit down and as soon as he says the narration and we get into it, I immediately just pretend I'm like twelve years old again, and I'm this guy, I'm this kid, and I have my my or or a ten or eleven. How I don't know age anymore. Ten. Seven. Yeah, you know, where, where, where imagination oh. is the strongest, where I put on my sheet and, and wrap it around, that's my cape, and I have my flashlight, and that's my lightsaber, where the hell, in like, I go outside and I play till my mom comes to, the, you know, have dinner or whatever, like, um, and I'm dirty as hell when I come back inside. That's that's how I think. Everybody's done that. We've all been kids. Oh, that was
2: like two weeks ago for
6: you. I'm just saying. Also, when I play, <laughs> d right and <laughs> that that's where, that's where I go. It's just, when, when everybody's not thinking about any kind of thing other than having fun, that's 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 my best advice to just kind uh, of roleplay. Just, just and, have and, fun. And I'll I'll say something that, that
9: actually came up. I was very very proud of this. This came up recently in some conversations as we were t- we were talking about the nature of, of, of playing a game like this and about risk and as a player really? wanting to be wanting to be adventurous and wanting to like do things that you wouldn't do in real life. And one of the one of the essential things that a good DM that that you get to learn with a good DM is the DM is not there to kill you. The DM is there to turn you into a hero. <laughs>
6: Um, by the way, I've been playing this wrong. I'm not, <laughs> not, I'm not all playing, the time You play awesome, shut up. Because, no, because we had this She's conversation. like,
0: we're gonna die, I'm like, he yesterday. doesn't want to kill us. And I literally was like, I was like, Don't you understand?
6: Mercy's trying to kill us all the time! I was like, you're wrong. Whoa. He's like, he wants to make you a hero. I'm like, what? I'm <laughs> like, It'll that hurt means you. everything. I've been such a dick. Like, <laughs> He's
0: hilarious. Some some
5: DMs do want to kill the players. Some DMs do. Which is fine, I mentioned earlier, which is fine as long as the DMs and the players agree upon that at the beginning. They're like, this is the relationship, I'm trying to kill you guys, good luck surviving. Like, Tomb of Horrors is a perfect example. Guy Gax going, fuck all y'all, you're gonna die. That's where that stem is from. And for some people, that's a lot of fun. But for this game, you know, death is very real, challenge is there, and I present circumstances that depending on what you guys do, may or may not end in success or death. But I'm not trying to outwardly kill you. Yeah. no, well, no I'm maybe. To, I'm trying to outwardly yeah. kill
8: you. Spiritually yeah. kill you. Yeah. 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 Just on like, inner right side. Just, well, like, like, die just
7: like Obviously it's had some effect
0: on you. I
6: mean, yeah, just you know it's he, you know, God, it's just, scary. No, it's just like, you know, an armored fucking uh, enchanted horned beholder motherfucker. Yeah, sure. He's not like totally trying to.
2: We say fear the wrath of God. For no, if,
9: reason. if a giant sky but dog still, god appeared next, like tomorrow and like and like just pulled out a D20 and rolled in and then looked at you,
6: <laughs> you freak out. Right.
2: That's <laughs> a really
9: scary
6: <laughs> thing to happen. But if it is, a, but is that a good point where like I I, I should have been like more I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have been so fearful as I, well, it's, it's, I was. It's just. A, it's, a, it's a different way of like looking really at the situation. I'm he's no. He's I know, cause really, he gets that look. I know. It's God.
1: It's part of the fun. Uh-huh. The smile is so. I, I think I play. Specific, I court death on purpose. I, I the way
6: I look. At this,
8: <laughs> <laughs> the way I look at
1: this is either this month or next year. I, I, my character is going to die. I know that's going to happen, and I would never grab a rope and jump off the side of a flying device to save my actual sister. Yes, I would. Yeah, you would. That's a terrible statement. Yes, I would. (laughs) But I don't think that I would like leap off of things to my detriment constantly. And like that's how like I get to be. This is the whole reason we're doing this is because we're twelve and we get to pretend we're the hero. So I'm constantly trying to. I fully expect you to kill me someday. Yeah. It may happen D- and I'm going to feel horrible.
2: Yeah. DD has a lot of life lessons in it. We're all going to die someday. Wait, here's, here's where, uh, <laughs> YOLO?
7: Exactly. YOLO, <No. laughs> no. we'll three ranks in YOLO. YOLO. 2 to your proficiency for that.
5: YOLO. You can be careful. You can be as careful as you want in the game, but you get to certain point where you have to have those those hero moments. There you go. you take that high risk high reward line and it sounds like you're being a little bit I know. It's a little racist. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, shush.
10: Say that again.
5: Say that again. Being careful is great, and and working your way through a situation carefully is fantastic, but you reach a certain point in a game where you have to let yourself jump into those high-risk, high-reward circumstances, because not only is that what you don't get to do in your day-to-day life, but those make the best stories, success or failure. There might be serious ramifications for failure, but goddamn if you won't be talking about it for the next two to three to ten years for that one time that you did this and it failed and your character got smashed in this horrible way, and two years after your party would, you know, clamor to the gods your lost character's name whenever they charged into battle against a great foe. Like like that's that's the type of storytelling that you don't get unless someone takes a risk like that.
2: By the way, when succeed, one of us dies, we're all gonna Fucking ball our eyes out. I know. Like, oh yeah. If we all, but no, it's sad. But like it's sc- gonna be Scanlan
9: and the stained glass window Again. will live with me forever. <laughs> I'm gonna feel really bad <laughs> laughing from the back of the room when that. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: yeah, you'll yeah. hear that. <laughs> this is great. You're wearing a unicorn
10: suit.
5: <laughs> 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 so I'm gonna do two more. Two more questions. Sorry. <clears throat>
10: um, first one. Is, I can't remember who was asking it, but I've seen it a couple times. They're asking about uh, DM player characters. Your opinion on DMPCs. Uh,
5: DM PCs, if they're a very good DM, can be fine. I, honestly, the main reason I became a DM was because my first DM had a PC, who then somehow got all the best loot, and was, <laughs> and was a paladin in second edition, but also somehow had the uh, the samurai kit, which I don't know if that could be a paladin, so he was dual wielding magical katanas, and whenever an upgrade came up, that he randomly rolled on the table and went, oh cool, I'm taking that. I'm like, dude, I don't even have a magical weapon. He's like, I'll fight you for it. I'm like, oh, good paladin. Fuck this shit, I make my own game, so, huh? Fight you for it, bro. Sorry, Ray, I love you, but that, that was a terrible game. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, so, right. so so I, I think if it's, a, if it's a good DM, you can, but the problem is, as a dungeon master, you know the behind the scenes. You know where it's going, you know what's coming, you know what you're going to fight, you know what to prepare for, you know what's going to drop, you know so much that having a player character almost defeats the, the purpose. purpose. Almost. Completely. No. Totally, the yeah. there are circumstances where it might work with certain creative types, but I think I think it, it robs you of the fun of actually being a player in the game if you're also the DM. Conversely well, also, it you makes have other have players this handy
2: screen right. deliberately so we don't see what right. you're doing.
5: Conversely, the other players feel removed then because now they have this strange magical god entity
7: that also is fighting alongside them that has the benefit of Omniscient. knowing what's coming. Sort of a tangent to that question. Yeah. How do you feel about another player playing someone else's character by proxy when that other player's not there? I think that's totally fine if the players agree upon it. Um, I
5: tend to just NPC players if not there or try and find a story reason as to why they can't be available so it doesn't rob them of the experience. But that is totally a viable thing as long as the players agree to it. Or if the person was like a real ass last game and they're not <laughs> there, you're like, you know what, fine, you control the character. <laughs> <laughs> See how they like that, then maybe. But for the most part, if, if players are okay with that, and they, there's somebody at the table that they trust to understand what the character would do and play them properly, then fuck yeah, go for it. Great.
6: Matthew, that's why I'm going to sh- be showing up next week. Okay. I will be, I'll be here. <laughs> I'll roleplay it for you. There you go. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for the last
10: question, uh, I want players on my table to be more—this uh, is Kama Calvin by the way— I want at my table to be more immersed in the story, like instead of saying to me, so I tell them to go west. Uh, are there any tips on stimulating people? Uh, this, to rephrase oh, it, how do you encourage people to role play more and get into character, rather than simply just direct commands at each other?
5: Right, right. Uh, so to get people to role play, for, for one thing I want to mention, uh, it's not necessary. If you want that in the game, that's different. Bullshit.
1: <laughs> there it is.
2: <laughs> it's a role playing game, it's in the title.
1: What Come on. Let me
5: clarify. Hold
2: Go on. ahead. Go ahead.
5: Some people, some people, don't have the comfort level or have the, the social confidence to be able to jump straight into character, and so for them, it's more comfortable to play it that way, where they can kind of, in in essence, remove themselves from the character and control them almost like a video game, and say what they're doing as opposed to actually performing and acting it out. And there's nothing wrong with that. If anything, that's almost a baby step version of them eventually becoming comfortable with fully immersing themselves with <laughs> the character. True. So I don't think that you should be down on somebody who plays that way, necessarily. If you want to immerse them more as a DM, it's an invitation. You mentioned to the players. Guys, going forward, I would love for us to be a little more into this circumstance. Uh, if you're feeling comfortable, please you know, feel free to speak in character. Or sometimes, if, you, if, you, if they're down for it, but they have a hard time committing, put the law down. Anything you say in this game, is in character if it's conversational. Yeah. To where, to where, if they turn to somebody the side and be like, yeah, but then you stab them in the back, and be like, I'm sorry, what did you say? And then you start treating everything as character conversation. Then they are put into a circumstance so they have to treat it like that. It may not be comfortable at first, but it just like getting into the very, very, very cold water in a pool. At first, it sucks, but over time, they get used to it and they don't realize that they're that they're there anymore after a while. Like, it, you know, it just becomes natural. Um, but for you as a dungeon master, you really have to, it's an invitation, a comfortable invitation. Please come with me on this. I'd love to have you be more involved in this. And it's your job as the dungeon master to also bring your NPCs to life in the way you want them to role play. And when you ask them a question, don't ask it out to the whole group. Pick somebody in the group that NPC is looking to and go, you, what are you doing in my tavern?
1: I was just passing by. I thought I could have a drink.
5: Yet your eyes seem to belie some sort of strange, negative connotation. You carry a blade out of its scabbard. What is it you want with my
1: belongings? Uh, nothing. My father gave it to me. I was just thirsty, passing through. Who's okay. Your father? I, my father's name was Arthas. He was a potter, and... He uh, asked me to come to you and ask for your allegiance to our clan. That's all you had to say. Come have a seat. We'll discuss
11: this clan's allegiance.
1: You're a very nice fellow. Can I also have a drink?
11: For a gold piece you can. <laughs>
1: here's two, here's two, I'm rich.
5: <laughs> I see you speak tavern well. <laughs> so like like that's a circumstance where you kind of put them on the spot and they kinda of have to react to it and like I said, it might be weird at first, but they'll eventually get in, in, into the deal. You, that's you, my suggestion. It might not always work. Some people just aren't comfortable with that, and you have to be okay with it. You, you do setting really well too. Like when we when we would play, the lights
9: go down, the candles come out, the music yeah. turns on. Yeah, like, that's one thing I do miss about sexy. this
5: this situation is uh, it's hard to adjust the lighting based on circumstances. We're working
1: on it, man. All right, we're yeah. working on it. It's we're getting good. there. Used yeah, a dark, fantastical cave. Okay, Ooh, we're this working is so on cool. it. It's Travis's dining room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but
6: we put a nice tablecloth on the table. Can't you also use, like, the book talks
1: about, I'm I'm DMing for my eight-year-old son and his kids. I haven't done this yet, but the book talked about, uh, the DM book talks about, like, rewarding them with inspiration dice, so can't you, like, as a carrot, you know, just start, anytime anyone shows just even the barest glimpse of role-playing like that go boom, inspiration yep, dice to you. Yeah, I mentioned
5: on. a little earlier, and I'll expand upon that. Like, on, on top of making sure people get bonuses and little bumps for cool experience moments, if someone does something really cool in character, you as the DM can award them a D6 as an inspiration dice. An inspiration dice, and they can only carry one at any given point in time, but at some point later in the game, if they have to make a D20 roll, like an attack, or a saving throw, or a skill check, they can... Add the d6 to their final number to give them the extra little hero push towards succeeding at something and so it's another cool out of kind of character on a stick bait to to step a little harder into their character and, and really play out that role hello fans of
0: dungeons and dragons and actual play podcasts
2: lovers of lore rich storytelling phenomenal characters and grand adventures
3: the Homebrew, a D&D play podcast, would like to invite you to check out our actual play. We're a top-charting podcast with a thriving community and over 200 hours of epic story for you to binge. I catch up on.
12: The Homebrew is a DD and d 5th edition campaign reskinned as a huge sci-fi space opera.
4: Join us anywhere podcasts are found by searching The Homebrew, a DD and d play podcast.
3: One more time, that's The Homebrew, a DD and d play podcast.
8: Good
5: point, Jay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, Capital. So I mean, we may have time for one more quick one, because there's a lot of questions coming through, and then we'll jump into the game.
2: I wasn't looking. Uh, <laughs> I looked like that was about it. Um, I will say, while you're looking for a question.
10: Uh, for both me and Matthew last, and Marisha, at When's Rangers? there going to be another shirt? Are you guys planning on doing another? We're planning to do more shirts.
5: Um, Geek & Sundry is putting up their actual store soon, and so we're gonna be probably selling those through. (laughs) I I I would like to take this time to
0: say that we do have shirts for sale right now that support Geek & Sundry's overall Twitch channel if you'd like to purchase some. They are the HR emote uh, human resources stapler for whenever you say something inappropriate, like penis. There you go, you have a shirt for that. Well, I mean, in this context? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess
8: so.
1: (laughs) We're playing a board game. (laughs) Depending on
6: where you put it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the scabbard. Just like, oh. oh. Anyway. I saw saw one good question I want want to
5: address. Someone asked uh, uh, suggestions on running uh, a complex system for a bunch of new players. Um, If. which is a challenge even sometimes in our game still um, but it's one of those circumstances where you have to be you have to be patient and honestly you can simplify the rules when I say you can customize anything in this book you can leave out a lot of the rules and just keep it very simple if you don't want to have if you think a movement an action and a bonus action is too much get rid of the bonus action and just consider things find another way to work it in or if if you want to keep it a little more free form and just kind of you know keep it open to you know, it puts a little more work on you as the DM to do so, as you have to rationalize what they're doing and make it so it doesn't seem so broken, but you can just minimize a lot of the rules. You can cut out half the skills if you don't think they're necessary. You can get rid of feats, you can get rid of backgrounds, you can, uh, you can have the spell lists if you want. If you want to, to narrow it down, you can go through and just trim and trim and trim until you think you have a nice, simpler system for everyone to start with, and then you can start rolling out the more expanded aspects of the system. So and don't feel like you have to verbatim, hey, everyone, this book can be, read it all, learn it all, let's go. You can go ahead and pick the few rules you think are important to play the game, teach them to your group, and then just start with those, and then slowly, as time goes on, let them research and discover more as they go on.
6: And learn together. Oh, yeah. The, 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 what, to what you're saying, too. Um, what, what Matthew? What you? I don't know how to stress. What Matthew allows me to do is like uh, for all you casters out there. Um, the, if if, it's, if the spell isn't in the book, uh, ask your DM if like you can craft them. I, I I've the uh, uh, Matthew if it, it has doesn't exist. He's let me make spells. That's what glacial blast is. It doesn't exist here. But I was like, hey, I want to do this thing that doesn't quite. Is not scripture here, so you can ask your DM, and he can figure it out with you. I, of course, always give him way too OP stuff. He's like, no, and then he gives me a better, an actual spell.
8: Like
5: everything I build is like (laughs) literally me just handing him a slip of paper, going,
6: huh?
8: (laughs) (laughs) And, and
5: And the players, as they submit custom things, they have to understand that. You know, you do your best to balance it and if they try it out a few times and it's still kind of overbalanced, it might be scaled back a bit because you're still trying to find what works and you can't really tell how balanced something is until you try it. But uh, but that's kind of the relationship you establish with your DM if you want to customize and create things on your own. is like, can I do this? Sure, but make it like this. Okay, let's try that. Play a few games. Yeah, it's a little powerful. We're going to scale this back a little bit and don't be like, Come on, you said it was okay. Be like, okay, okay, cool.
10: <laughs> uh, also, I wanna, uh, earlier talking about uh, customizing monsters for encounters, it's either in the DM guide or in the monster manual. There, a, there is an algorithm in there to properly scale a monster up and down to fit the needs of the dungeon. Right, right. I don't know where it is in there. So that's a, a tool that they do allow you to have. It's in the book. It's not. Nice. It's it's in the monster manual. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I, I, I wasn't sure. I remember flipping through, and it was in one of those. But I just want to mention
1: that. It's yeah. in the, uh, the Facebook Terms of Service. I
2: agree. Uh, exactly. For Section A-B. Um, yeah.
5: All righty. Hello, I'm Matthew Mercer, and you're listening to the Critical Role Podcast. I hope you're enjoying the adventures of Vox Machina. Now we return to the action.
2: Uh. Should we, like, trade places so that some of us are sitting like, next to them and
1: we're not us, well, no, are they're right? they're
10: you know, we? are just, just spectators? We're just spectators.
1: But I
2: didn't know
10: if you wanted to, like... We might need the, uh...
7: Yeah, let's help. We might need the Olympic scores. again. Phone also a friend. Viable. Let's Phone ask friend. the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Would you use insight? <laughs> All
5: right, so, so uh, let's go ahead and begin, and I'm going to preface this letting you guys know that I have nothing prepared. This is an entirely improvised <laughs> <laughs> session. I'm curious to see where it goes. Uh, this is a perfect example of flying by the seat of your pants, Dungeon It's going mystery. just like
1: how you rehearsed. Whose line <laughs> is it anyway, Matt?
5: What? One. Points! This is a prop base um. skill. <laughs> <laughs> Here top stunners and dragons, ladies and gentlemen. Oh god. I know. Ugh. <laughs> wow. That's All right, so, so uh, Dan, we saw your wonderful character, yes. your, your sailor dwarf. Uh, Salty Pete. Yep, that's right.
11: Salty great. Pete. I'm
0: Sorry. gonna let him go first. Okay, actually,
11: okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so got- you right. uh Yo, uh, this is Ophi guard, Fireforge. I'm a sword, X pit fire. I'm slow to trust and quick to kill. Money talks, bullshit walks.
4: <laughs> 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 just so
11: y'all know, I'm in it for the money and I play mean flute. It's sharpened at the end, so if you get too close, I might stab you in the neck. Uh, <laughs> but just know I'll do anything for a buck, anything. <sighs>
8: <laughs> Anything.
11: Anything.
1: Anything. <laughs> <laughs> what was your character, name again? Can't wait for Zack's Salty monologue. Monologue. Pete.
7: Salty Pete.
0: I, the great Snuggle Lord, I am a charismatic charlatan from, uh, as a warlock tiefling individual, uh, hailing from the land of simpletons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I became bored with my homeland after impregnating all of the impregnable and decided to pledge my loyalty to the Overlord of a faraway land, and set off to do his evil bidding. Um, Not really evil though, but Overlord himself asked me to do a lot of very evil things. At least that's what the voices tell me. Um, (laughs) Along the way, I learned that I was more of a lover, and not a fighter. Uh, So I lied to these two assholes (laughs) about the pleasures that await them at the Overlord's chat room. They are dum dums and fell for it, and now act as my personal bodyguards. Basically, in short, uh, I convince everyone with intimidation and my great charisma, but I'm very broken and weak physically on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I'm getting. I'm hearing some voices from Overlord right now. Uh, I believe we're at three. 1,162 subscribers <laughs> in, in the chat room. I told you the chat room was real. <laughs> and uh, the if, if, if the chat room could respond with the keyword Snuggle Lord,
8: the, 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 the I
0: heard from one of Overlord's minions that the, the <laughs> giveaway is not working. The is
8: not
0: and there's great. nothing that Snuggle Lord oh, can do about it in his current so much situation. For your
8: so we're gonna ask
0: that the great fellow lad Nightbot. Uh, pull the winner for us, uh, for the, uh, the giveaway. <coughs> well, I
11: don't know and what the hell this dude talking about, but he paid me, so.
8: <laughs> <laughs> I, just I brought a lot, of, yeah. a lot of money,
11: a lot of money with me on this trip.
5: That, that's all. Right, great, great. Uh, so, so, so you promised them, uh, what awaits them at the Snuggle Lords, or the Everlords? Uh, Lords? Basically the seven versions of the chat room. Okay, got you. Yes. All right, and and so we'll. Okay, all right, all right. So here's here's how we'll start.
6: Years are turning. <laughs>
8: <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs> upon your chance
5: meeting one evening in a darkened, drunken tavern, in a darkened, drunken state, uh, upon spinning tales of your backgrounds, your ears perked up at the promise of not only great riches but great, soulful, uh, uh, gratifying angelic entities promised to you from the realm beyond this, this overlord. This overlord that keeps a very, very carefully hidden temple of worship not too far from this city. No more than two and a half days' travel on horseback, you mentioned to them that there is a place, a grand place where this temple could be found, and deep within resided the secret of contacting and, and being taken into the riches, the eternal vault of what is the overlord. Upon this agreement, a small bit of change was exchanged. You managed to finagle the local uh, stable (laughs) out of a couple horses and found your way traveling before daybreak. You ride and ride and ride for the next two days. An awkward series of camping circumstances allow you to find you don't have a lot in common based on conversation other than the love of money and the love of this promise they give you. And the further you travel, the more and more the. a painful eye of mistrust begins to fall upon one snuggle lord. As the beads of sweat (laughs) drip down your face, but you know the city is mounting soon, there there will be a time where you can prove to them that in some way, shape, or form, they've helped you find what it is you're seeking, and you can possibly kill them before they have the chance to take you out. Nevertheless, as the second sunrise hits, you crest over the last of a large, hilly landscape the high grass brushing past your boots as you push through these grasslands, and you see upon the fabled city of Rochmar Rochmar not really that fabled, it's a small farming village, but he seems to be <laughs> talking it up as this grand city. So there's a moment of disappointment as you look over and see what may be anywhere from 60 to 70 houses to hovels to a, a slightly dilapidated farmland. A bit of confusion hits you, and you look over <clears throat> to your great snuggle lord as he puts his hands up
11: and...
0: Yeah, it was over the voices. Well, I mean, it, I mistranslate them sometimes. You mistranslate. There's 60 an, fucking hovels! Mm, <laughs> 600 Six hundred, six, like one. You dropped the zero. Mm, well, <laughs> it's an accident. Great. It won't happen again. Look, you're a great dude. I,
6: I like you, dude. I get along, like, you're great. Hands you're great. off the cake. Okay. You'll smudge it. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
8: yes.
11: <laughs> God. I feel like we're guests hey, on me. Japanese I'll kill you right <laughs> now. Okay, <laughs> okay. You say, Hey, you pay me right now, he is dead. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll kill you right now. I told you. Whoa, whoa, you pay whoa. Me guys. More, I kill him. I kill anybody for <laughs> some no. money. <laughs> you no, Pixliff like, this has a big No, how much pay. money you got, right? Let's there. find this. Let's find this overload. Did stash? I really have to pick oh, the two dumbest
0: assholes, <laughs> assholes to be in my group? I mean, really. <laughs> oh. Whoa. I'm getting so tired of this
7: outer monologue. Let's find this. It's gonna be in one of these 60 hovels. Let's find it. Alright, let's do it. What are we looking for again? Uh, excuse me? You're the one who's supposed to know. We're looking for your mythical chat room, whatever that means. As far as I know, said something about virgins, about riches, about ladies. You see, that's all I I care about I'm looking for Helen, who's a ship. It's more of a metaphorical lady. But I'll take any port in a storm. (laughs)
11: <laughs> <laughs> hey, for real though, you give me that boat, i kill him right now. You give, that, you give me that boat, I'll kill him right or now. we'll talk. Kill oh, all right, I like boats, man, shit. <laughs> yeah. As the tides of character relationships quickly
5: seem to turn <laughs> as you head towards the River, Um you, you, you notice, and you've traveled here once before, and, and,
10: uh, <laughs> well, sorry. Well, while you
5: understand that, that secretly, Beneath where this hidden chat room is is, is really a cache of, of money that your previous employer hid amongst other riches, and probably murdered most of your other allies before he managed to escape from his clutches, and uh, probably the only person of your band of, of roving thieves and, and miscreants to not fall to the Shattered Blade. Uh, you know that his riches are held there, and you know that there are a number of traps set within this, this dark underpassing, and you know that once you can just get there safely, You can probably make it out alone. And so just hold tight to your your position and this should be fine. As you ride up to the outskirts of town, you can't help but notice that, uh, strangely, what was once a bustling farming town seems fairly empty. The nearby grass seems to have turned from a a brightish, healthy green to a dull, crackled brown gray. Uh, The farms themselves, the lands have turned dark and cracked. The landscape appears to have been untended to for many a month. And aside from a couple of scratching sounds and the distant uh, calling of crows overhead as they flutter off into the distance,
8: there doesn't seem to
5: be much of a sign of life in this village.
0: the music changed. I heard it.
8: Careful. Yeah, it's a (laughs) clue.
5: As you begin to step into the village proper, uh, there is a small thoroughfare that leads from the main area towards the center part of town. As you ride in slowly, the clomping of your horses, hitting against the rock and dry dirt beneath your feet, uh, you catch what looks to be a handful of individuals gathered towards the center of town. Uh, Maybe no more than 150 feet away, you see four figures, all different heights, dressed in ragged rags and clothes that seem to have been uh, met with some sort of hardship and and long long nights without any sort of of cleaning agent. they gather around in a circle over what looks to be a well Lo there what are you looking at in that that well you see, as soon as you say that loudly the heads suddenly spin to you creepy they look amongst themselves and they all begin to scatter away from the well uh, can can i make can i give him
0: some money to like go check see what's in that well
11: yeah. <laughs> you can give me money to do anything <laughs> Well, uh, here's some money. shillings, uh, there, uh, dude. Hey, it's right. a local currency. Okay. All right, man, I mean, <laughs> you just wasted your money, because I was going to check to see if there was money in this well <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, let me oh, wishes. Let me look down here, what's in here right now?
5: So, as you approach, uh, the figures have scattered off into what looks like two different alleyways on the opposite side of this this small uh, thoroughfare. You glance over the edge, and the first thing that catches you is this, this very, very Acidic smell. This, this, this pungence that hits your nostrils. That seems to—it's like, like long, long rotting citrus combined with almost an iron-like scent. Uh, you glance over, and currently you can only see maybe a few feet into the darkened well. It's uh, too dark for you to see anything beneath. However, you are, as you are a dwarf, you have dark vision. And in the low light circumstance from the, uh, the noonday uh, sun, you're able to look down and see that the, the brackish liquid, what would be a normal watery well, instead is very thick and viscous in the way it slowly moves. And from what you can gather, uh, the water is disturbed, mm. or recently has been disturbed.
11: Are there any, uh, ha, that's good. Are there (laughs) any, like, shiny trinkles there? Like, there might be some coins sitting at the bottom. (laughs) I think through the thickness. Uh, I think there might be coins in there if you want to jump in and (laughs) see what it is at the bottom. Go roll a 20, add your perception skill. Uh, so, uh, with my perception, get plus two. 19. 19. Nice. He's hoping it's You take a
5: moment, and you, you, you curl your fingers around the outside of the stone well. You place your head down, and while the scent is not pleasant, the need for gold is stronger. And with a little <laughs> bit of light trickles through, you can see what looks to be a semblance of a step or something within the well that catches your eye, and indeed, you see a handful of gold coins. I <laughs> don't know how long they've been there. Uh, tossed in either by as a wishing well or something more, but there are apparently some coins within the liquid.
11: Alright, I learned a few years ago you just can't be sticking your hand in any kind of water. You know your hand might get beat, bitten up. Uh, maybe I might uh, throw a piece of rope in there, see what, uh, see if it disintegrates. If not, that gold's mine. I saw it first. You will die if you touch it. <laughs> uh, the old rope test, classic. <laughs> yep. See my man. Nature's litmus. My man Sam over here know about that rope test? Yeah, I throw a rope in there. <laughs> Who's Sam? That's yeah, my man Money Sam over there. It's Salty Pete, but Sam's me nickname. All right.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so as you go through your pouch, you pull out a small wrapping of, of, of rope, you're to lower it into the liquid. As it hits the surface, there's no hissing sound or immediate reaction, it seems. You just kind of lower the rope. A few feet in, let it sit for a second. As you pull it up, you notice the rope itself has a, uh, a very black color to it. And as you pull it up, you can see there is a very, very slight, dissolving reaction on the rope itself.
11: Can't give my mommy You might be able to jump in, get a handful,
0: and we'll, we'll pull you up, and you could survive that, maybe. I mean, it's hip
7: rope. Your hand is stronger.
11: Yeah, I mean, you're, right, you're see, a big dude. Usually when two people are trying to convince me to do something and they not trying to do it, that means I shouldn't do it. <laughs> so, uh, gonna <laughs> just sit here and we're going to talk about this water. How we going to get inside it and get that money? All right. Well, you're, you're the seafarer with water. What do you do with that? I know a brackish liquid when I see it.
7: This is nothing I've seen before. No molasses, no swamp water. This is nothing the like I've seen before, but I never buck down from a challenge. With a quickness, I thrust my hand in there to grab the coins.
5: All right. right, uh, are about... they are about... Seven or so feet below from the top of the well. Oh, so probably as a dwarf, I probably need
8: some help. Uh, I need a little help, there. little
7: buddy. Yo, it's all right. I'm
11: highly acrobatic. Yo, man, you you make you being funny with my money, man. You got me excited, thinking you about to grab that money. You got nowhere near, man. You got nowhere near my money.
7: I forgot to be Stumpy arms <laughs> With, with the aid of someone else, you can probably get in there if you want. or oh, you can be so kind as to dangle me. Oh uh, yeah, you know I'll dangle you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dwarf thing. So so
5: <laughs> as Ofgar grabs you by the ankles and slams you over the front of the well, you dangle down, uh, your fingers just reaching in towards the liquid. You grab at the coins. Uh, it's very, very cold, the liquid. Um, oh. But it warms quickly as a strange tingling sensation oh. begins to rapidly encase your hand. As the feeling begins to go numb, your hand gathers a handful of coin, and I want you to go ahead and
7: make an athletics check. All right. Don't fuck this up.
11: And hit the pencil, do it. Hit the pencil, <laughs> <laughs> uh, pencil master. Fourteen. Fourteen.
5: Okay. So. Uh, you feel the sweat beginning to pour down the side of your head, your muscles are tense, but as soon as you see that, that gold vanish from beneath the liquid, you know it's in the proper hands. You pull it up out of the well without much issue. You come <laughs> up to the surface, hand clutching the golden hand. As you open your fingers, you look and see. Indeed, the coins are as clean as the day they were, almost like just being in that well took any sort of uh, tarnishing uh, material off of the coin itself. Also looking down, you notice that your hand has gone from numb to burning.
11: Oh no! Give me oh, My money first! Oh. Oh, yeah. Take the money out of his hand, put Hold it in my back. sack. Yeah. Oh, he's, in, he's on the ground, Hold throw it. some dirt yeah. on it. <laughs> throw some dirt, I kick some dirt all on you your see, hand.
5: You take two points of acid damage oh, as <laughs> the corrosive liquid eventually subsides the the, the, the the horrible corroding of your hand, but not without its impact. Whew.
12: Thank you so much to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Nothing ruins my day faster than my allergies flaring up. My face gets preposterously red, my sinuses feel clogged, it feels like I'm walking around with a cartoon storm cloud over my head, which as you may be able to tell from the phlegmatic timbre of my voice is happening to me right now. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin-D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for several years. It's been an absolute game changer because I can now go hang out with my friends who have cats without my face swelling up like a giant balloon. And that's great news because I really wanted to pet their cats and now I can. So, ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed.
11: All right, uh, thank you for helping me out. i throw you a, a gold piece. Oh, oh thanks rest. for the tip. Yeah, you know. I'm sitting on my horse laughing my ass off. <laughs> this is I'm so glad now that
0: I teamed up with these dum-dums Because this is going to provide me with so much entertainment on my trip You know we can hear you, right? Dum-dum. You're saying it loud,
11: we know what you're saying uh, <laughs> We speak common yeah, hey, uh, How about you uh, what, what would it take to uh, uh, pick up this snuggle lord and dip his head He's just just the tip of oh. his head What about the, the gold bag? piece you just gave me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah just, dip, just no. dip his
7: head in just a little bit. Listen, I want to find this chat room. Let's find where those scampering scamps got off to. All right, but after this, I'm dipping your head in the juice, man. <laughs> all right, so uh, glancing over, I uh, want you
5: all three of you to go ahead and make a perception check. Okay, so what do I roll? Roll a, D, roll a d20, which is the, uh, the most round of the dice, and add your perception skill to the number you roll. Uh, 14. 15. 16. We are not clever. <laughs> 15, 15, 16. Alright, so, um, you. We didn't see for a long time. The salty air seems to have taken its toll, and your eyes are still a bit fuzzy. As you take to rubbing to them to try and get a proper view, the two of you immediately see that in one of the nearby buildings, a door is slightly ajar, and the moment that your head's turned toward it, the door shuts almost reactively.
11: Hmm. Weird. I say so, we go check that out. Did of you see you something? Uh, yeah, yeah, a door shut, and it smelled like some money. Oh, great! <laughs> yeah, <dorms laughs> Let's find that. As you approach the door,
5: you go and reach for the knob. As you give it a turn, it tense push. The door is not opening. It looks like the knob itself is either locked or being held, and the door is held in place.
11: Well, well, it looks like somebody might be trapped in Let's bust down this door, man. Oh, I can pick the lock. Yeah, oh, alright. Your choice. <laughs> all right, uh, I don't want to take this I experience from a, you. I think I'm going to try to bust down this door first. Oh, How about it? Alright. <laughs> Lean in with
7: your shoulder. Alright. All right.
5: Go and make a strength check. So just roll a d20, add your strength modifier.
11: Uh,
7: <laughs> no, I can't be Did more. you pull something? Did
8: uh, you
7: pull something? Hey Uh oh. You get a nice running start, foot goes right
5: into the door, poof, it solidly hits you and sends you falling right back onto your ass, nearly knocking the wind out of you.
11: <gasps> yeah, go ahead and pick uh, that lock. This <laughs> must <laughs> <laughs> be a powerful door.
7: <laughs> Strong, reinforced wood and iron. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let Mrs. Buttersworth and the lefty try this one. I'm going to take my thieves' tools out and to pick big block. All right, so you
5: 20, and then add your dexterity
7: yeah, yeah. plus thieves'
2: tools. Okay. Uh, one. <laughs> oh!
8: no! oh! no! oh! Yes! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
7: As you this
5: step over, uh, pushing,
2: be <laughs> the dwarven. pushing,
5: pushing your, your dwarven ally aside, you pull back your sleeves, pull out your fine masterwork thieves' tools, Shit. and jostle for a moment, and you hear that that wonderful sound, that click, which displays the unlocking mechanism. As you pull back, you realize that wasn't the mechanism, that was the end of your lockpick breaking in the lock.
0: Oh, oh. Christ. How are you dum-dums doing down there? Ah, uh,
7: great!
8: <laughs> it's you a
7: powerful portal. <laughs>
11: oh man, oh.
7: I didn't think it can be traversed. We should go around to the back, find a window. Oh, no, I'm going to deal with this house real quick. <laughs> Let me go. I'm going to
11: deal with this house. Uh,
7: <laughs> can I grant you a synergy bonus, whatever that
11: is? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to see if there's something in my Dungeoneer pack that can light this house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Classic will smoke them out. Yeah! I actually think that's a really good idea. Let's burn it.
7: All right, I have an idea. Let's burn
11: it. Oh, just check it out. Wait till I look in my Dungeoneer pack, see what's up in here. As he's
5: looking through his pack, you, uh, uh, Snuggle Lord, know that you, as, an, as a, uh, a fiend packed warlock, have the ability to use a cantrip called Thaumaturgy. That's, the, that's what yeah. I was looking yeah. for. That
6: allows you to do all kinds of slightly
5: things, but especially you can create fire, pretty much like within torchlight or a small handful of fire on command. So he's looking through Great. his pack.
0: Uh, I'm gonna let him keep looking for a little bit longer <laughs> <laughs> because it humors
5: me. Fair enough.
0: Did uh. you find anything there, little buddy? Yeah, I got a tinderbox in here. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, swipe left. As, as before he can finish the sentence, I uh, cast the. Uh, fire onto the house. Uh, <laughs> that thing, I don't know. <laughs> Are you serious? He could do that all along. <laughs> uh, all while sitting on my horse and smirking and smugly. Oh. With a
5: flick of his wrist, <laughs> a spark emerges from his fingertips and a burst of flame collides with the upper echelon of the, uh, or the upper portion of the rooftop. The thatched, uh, dried out <laughs> thatched roof <laughs> begins to immediately burn brighter and wider and wider until about half the roof itself has caught flame part of the wood surrounding the upper beams of the front panel of where the door is part also begin to catch and you start hearing some subtle coughing on the interior <laughs> building. Oh. Gotcha.
11: All right. Oh, yeah, so now we going go, uh, I'ma go punch his horse in the face, and then we'll wait by there. What uh, classic uh, Dwarven maneuver. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, no, no one expects that. So horse punch. So yeah, I'll punch. go ahead and uh, punch his horse right in the face as he laughs. Go ahead and roll, roll a d20,
5: add, put, add your attack bonus. Oh damn, damn, damn. Uh <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh, and your, your strength uh, and your proficiency. Uh, so, <laughs> that'll be 11. 11. Horse is, is pretty easy to hit at best point. Go ahead and roll a d4, <laughs> add your strength modifier. Alright,
11: d4. Instantly decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, four plus my sh- Was it my strength? Your strength modifier, yeah. Uh, So, that's seven.
5: Seven. Wham! Make sure you have socks your oh! horse across the face as you're laughing, mid laugh. The laughs, it's <laughs> pulled from it as you go <laughs> As your horse falls immediately over onto its side, sending you
8: tumbling from the horse,
5: <laughs> five feet from it, on your side, face in the dirt, coughing for a moment as your dwarven friend rips his hands, off guard, kind of chuckles over you. <laughs> the poor
0: horse. Um, has, has the fire, no. has the fire uh, weakened the structure enough for us to basically
5: jump in to the building? Uh, you into the inferno. <laughs> I,
0: I, I have uh, I have fire. I can I have fire resistance spell.
5: That's true. All right, so uh, looking at it, you can see the flames starting to get, and you can notice the door is trying to be opened, but whatever <laughs> lock mechanism has it been
8: jammed. <laughs> 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 Sorry, many...
7: that's a huami. Here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Are you sure this is about to be
11: manslaughter? The opposite side of the door. Uh, I, I'm gonna go over there and try and help this dude out. So, cause he'll, he'll think I'm the hero in it. Yeah, Trying thanks for punching my way. horse, dickhead. Like, it's all about perspective. I had a plan! <laughs> oh, you should have seen your face. He's gonna punch me. Oh, it's my horse! Yeah, just. <laughs> yeah, look at your horse laying there like a. Yeah, like you a punched stack a of horse! horse. Yeah, what yeah. is wrong with you? Nothing. He went from <laughs> block to day. Right. Not a damn thing is wrong with me. Now let me help this dude out this house that I lit on fire. I lit on fire? You couldn't do shit. Whatever. I'm going to help him out this house real quick. It's just strong, dog.
7: Take hey, a strength check again.
1: Oh, burn the people in their homes. Classic dwarf move. <laughs> <That
7: was six. laughs> <laughs> is six. As you go charging head first this time, there's the door to headbutt through. <laughs>
5: For a second time, you land on your back. <laughs> However, whatever the work. impact, you did manage to jostle free. Whatever part of your lockup stuck into the door suddenly swings open. Smoke billows out into the midday sun, and you see a cloaked individual, probably about a little bit shorter than you in height, comes rushing out, coughing. <laughs> Outward, just trying to get a breath of fresh air.
11: Yo, are you okay? Yeah, I what, saved who, you. Who set your house on fire, man? Oh shit! Oh. Yo, yo, your house got set on fire.
7: Is that door made of mithril? Oh, you looked really goodness. weird. Why couldn't you just say hello?
0: You looked weird. Oh, you thought that was something. We tried to get in. We go, couldn't. Go like ahead and make you look weird. Check.
2: Deception check.
11: Yeah. Oh, of course. Now I do good. (laughs) (laughs) I roll uh, a nineteen. Nineteen. Okay. The individual pulls back the hood, and what
5: you can see it was it was kind of ragged gray, um, essentially a a cloak that was placed over with them. You see their their pants are kind of torn, and what when the face is revealed, it's a extremely malnourished female halfling. Um, She looks like she's seen some rough rough days. she could probably pass for, you know, <clears throat> mid 20s or so, but due to her current state of health, she looks much, much older. I and feel like a real dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> she finishes coffee. She goes,
7: <laughs> "Thank you, thank you for saving me. I appreciate the assist." Well, to be fair, I mean,
0: he did. Fall on uh, his ass twice, and he punched a horse.
11: Yeah, yeah. Well, that that horse is just collapsible. This is all conjecture and hearsay. Uh, the horse, actually, I'm gonna give you the full story. The horse is blocking my way to help you out can this I, house. This ugly ass horse, all in my way.
0: Anyway, is there a way I convince her that I'm the only person here she should trust? Right, we tell her. Uh, I'm like, look, 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 look here, little girl. Like these guys are idiots. You don't want to talk to them. Just talk to me. Like, look me in the eyes. Talk to me. Let's let's talk this through. Like, what's what's going on? What's up with you? What's yeah, trust style? the guy who looks it's like persuasion. Lord Hades himself. Is that? Persuasion. And this guy over it's here. Add persuasion. Come on, tiefling. Okay, so what? Okay, now how do I add these numbers together? <laughs> what
11: is it? Persuasion. Mm-hmm. Persuasion. It's high, it's high. Plus, Plus four. four.
0: So 21.
8: Um,
5: twenty-one. Twenty-one. Oh. Okay, she glances at the other two dwarves, who are both gonna. <laughs> 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 just general stature and nature. Two, two rather ragged-looking, swarthy gentlemen. Uh, looks to you with your immediately dangerous-looking, tiefling face, but there's something about your voice and and the way you you spoke to her that is strangely welcoming, especially in the chaos of this house nearly burning down around her. She reaches out and kind of touches your hand gently and goes, I thank you, certainly. We've, we've, We've been lost in this region for over a month now. We are looking for food. We're not from here, but when we came to this village, it was empty. Everyone was gone, no bodies, no one killed, just missing. Just vanished. But it seems the further we get from this place, there's something that draws us back to it. We get thirsty, we get hungry, like there's a curse to it that won't let us leave.
11: Oh well, Hummie, that's just you. uh, uh, That was the rapture from the Lord Bahamut, uh, just raising up all his dragonling followers and all that such and things. Uh, Again, he is not to be trusted. He's an idiot. Yeah. What? (laughs) Where? Where
10: are you drawn back to specifically?
11: Well. (laughs)
10: <laughs> it's hard to say. We're continuously brought towards the center of this village, and there's a, a large
5: platform where, where it looks like there used to be more of a, uh, a presentary stage uh, where a, a small events, or at least townships, would discuss, uh, but right now there's, there's something that keeps calling us back to that place. We've set up tents there to survive in the meantime. We don't trust the buildings abound. Um, I can show you. That would be great.
0: Yo. <laughs> I'll pretend to be your friend until Yo. we get there. Yo. Why would you say Why are pretend you pretending are you that are outside? outside? Why would you see this Are <laughs> <night? We'll> you fucking <laughs> serious? Hey, man. Show some
7: discretion.
0: God, You really want a friend, discretion. don't you? Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I It's fine.
7: It's fine. How does this work every time? I don't, I don't know, man. I think
11: it's the demon horns using demon powers and stuff. You know, I need to go to church on Sunday. Come, you know. come
8: follow me. And
5: she kind of turns around, she puts her hood up, and she darts down the alleyway to the right of the burning building, <gasps> peeping away from the flames that are now beginning to completely envelop the structure.
7: Oh, oh excuse, excuse me. me. Sorry about that, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that's no, an accident. Uh, what? Who do we don't bite nature. Who? Yeah, who do? Nature's oxygen. Why are you even bringing
11: this up when nothing happened, man? Yeah. Anyway, do you have any gold in that house? Like, is there any money in what that house? We're going to bigger
0: and better things. Don't worry about it. Let's t- 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 go in t- the house. Y'all can keep walking. I'm gonna get that
11: hot gold, man. T- keep your eye on the prize, man. Yeah, we gotta look at this juice anyway. Tell her to take us to the juice. We're going to the tents. Oh, all right. juice is a common dwarven term for tits. <laughs> it's slung.
5: As you keep walking along, she kind of she's darting ahead, keeping an eye out. She turns around and goes, "But by the way, Lily, uh, oh, you have a name
11: or a favorite flower? One or the other. It's name." That's that's my name. Oh. Oh, what's Great. up? Uh, I'm I'm off guard. You know I'm a I'm a cell sword ex pit fighter. Put your money where your mouth is. Slow to trust, quick to kill. Money talks. Bullshit walks. <laughs> and I reach extend my hand out for some uh, dwarf dad.
8: <laughs>
11: she and patch the top. Classic yeah. halfling.
7: <laughs> <laughs> they always mess it up. Yeah. it's all good, it's all good. I am Salty Pete, but some call me Sam. <laughs> alright, Sam. You can call me Salty. Salty okay, <laughs> it is, alright. I get the idea that
0: you probably are without a father figure. Tell you From you're the look in your eyes. You can call me Dad if you want.
8: <laughs> Yo, you get a creepy man!
0: Oh, that's I'm bone. That's fine. That's, I'm sure he's a great guy. Oh,
5: well, close one. <laughs> As she continues now with an awkward side I can't glance. children, you know this. I'm <laughs> oh, so sorry. I, I got it all out.
0: Like there's nothing left.
5: <laughs> As the alley opens up uh, into this the, this central. Uh, essentially a small square to this village. You can see what she was talking about. There's an elevated wooden platform, although it is partially collapsed in the center. It looks like something heavy was laid on top of it and it eventually gave way, or something heavy smashed it from up top. Um, And around the outskirts of this, you see what look about six or seven tents in a very small ramshackle tent city. Um, They've been made from scraps of cloth that have seen to have been scavenged from nearby houses or or, uh, storage facilities. Um, But as as you approach, she gives out a voice Sterling! Sterling, we have guests, please! At which point, one of the tents uh, open up and you see what looks like an elderly woman, uh, human-ish, uh, from what you can see from the distance, looks out and goes, Oh, is that right? How would, are, they,
7: are they here to help?
5: And just, I, I think so, I think so. And she rushes up and helps the old woman out of her Yes, tent.
0: yes, we're here to help!
5: At which point a secondary tent opens next to that and a, a large oh, no. burly halfling steps out, older, looks to be kind of the one Temporarily in command of this small group of people, steps out.
11: So, you're here to help, you say? Yeah! I miss mister. We're here to help. Yeah, if you got the money to pay, you know God. what I'm saying? Big money. Hey, so I'm gonna let you know. Uh, I'm a cell sword and ex a pit fighter, slow to trust, quick to kill. Money talks. Bullshit walks. Let's <laughs> kill somebody. you have got to get you a fucking Wolf. business card. <laughs> yeah, like, really, dude, like. Love that dwarven dialect.
8: <laughs>
5: uh, the, the, the gentleman kind of steps forward and looks at the three of you. He's not He just sort of <laughs> <laughs> just stares at you. As you're waiting, the, uh, <laughs> the young halfling girl, Lily, comes up and Pats you on the hand again, kind of alleviating the tension. <laughs> oh,
7: too slow! No. Um,
5: the, the man takes a step forward this time you can see definitely posturing a, a presence of of masculinity and, and control of the situation. Looks about the 3D and goes, Alright. So if you're here to help, show me what weapons you've got.
7: Oh my favorite part. Oh. Show me mine, I'll show you yours. <laughs>
11: or vice versa.
7: <laughs> so, with the salt air, I'll be green.
11: <laughs> Idiots! <laughs> All right, so uh, uh, so so I pull out my two long swords. So you know I got two long swords. I use them at the same time. I like to call this one Regina and this one Linda. You get it? Right, left. <laughs> I'm hilarious. And then I got this crossbow right here. I use it with one hand. It'll bust somebody in the face. Any questions? <laughs> uh, n- no, I have no questions. That's. Very nice. I didn't
0: know
7: that names. That's <laughs> yeah.
11: beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just after right and left, no any... No, nah, yeah, I, I, you know, I like making jokes up. It, it, it's good to pass the time when you're cleaning your weapons. I've got several blades,
7: a short bow, and my trusty cape, which can come in handy in case of emergency. I role?
0: merely have this little axe. It's no big deal. It's not really a big deal. And, and a crossbow... I'm not really that good in a fight. Alright. These guys though, they're great. You can use them for whatever you what want. What a sick. Then you're the leader. <laughs> yes.
7: <laughs> He's <is> the employer. <laughs> right. Hey, have you been Same with? difference.
5: Here's what you need to know. We've been stuck in this place for at least two weeks now. But we're throwing a way out here. Little to eat. No wage coming. Whatever. Darkness has taken root in this small town. I've come to believe has infiltrated the water, has infiltrated the ground beneath us, the very earth itself. And as far as I can tell, each night when we sleep, the dreams and the get worse and worse. I dare say if this continues for long, I'm able to lose my own sanity and I want to keep my daughter safe for me. Uh. So, all the cash I have, Ooh. more than a simple 120 gold will be to you to distribute it as you see fit. Turn that down.
7: <laughs>
5: as the elderly woman goes, I'm sorry, and she puts her small violin away.
11: As her mind slips,
0: I was really enjoying the music, it's quite fine.
11: No, uh, yeah, you speak speaking my language right now, and I'm ready to do anything. Well, let's, right. let's hear. I'd <laughs> say you're right about the water. Let's, yeah yeah the so, water is strange first off it's the juice obviously they drinking the juice they ain't got no other kind of water the juice making you crazy so we need to go up there and maybe you can use some arcana and look at that juice in there and see what's up with it and we could get this money <laughs> i think we should check the
7: area around the stage and see if there's uh an opening or somewhere that we can get beneath
0: yeah let's let's try that yeah but if i'm you, also a little concerned about your hand
7: uh, it's fine. You're not, you're
0: not like. Listen, I'm sorry thoughts? I don't
7: exfoliate like you Tieflings do.
0: I'm just, you know, like no weird things going on up there. Like.
7: Uh, no, just the thought of getting my shit back. Okay, all right. We're right, good. Together. We're good. No, we're cool. We're cool. Yo,
11: so do you want your shit back or your shit back? That accent, funniest.
7: Well.
11: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. my accent. Yeah, dwarves, man. am I right? Yeah. yeah I'm sorry. <laughs> You gotta come up to the mountain with us mountain dwarves. We, we hill folks are a different breed. Uh, yeah, yeah, man, this is the mountain dwarves. We keep I'm it terribly real. terribly sorry, but like this, I swear <laughs> their muscle goes a lot farther than their brains do, though.
5: It best be for the coin I'm paying for this, but we'll see. I might even like you can it. prove your worth. Follow me. It leads you over towards the central stage in the middle of this open area. You can see now the stage, upon closer inspection, it hasn't <laughs> collapsed hasn't been smashed, it looks like the central area beneath it is, its it has been pulled down. There is an actual, what looks like a small, almost like the top of an amp hill. Like, it's slowly sinking into what appears to be some sort of a funnel that disappears beneath the surface of the earth.
7: Well. Well, that looks <laughs> unsettling at best. A little scary, uh, the, oh. Uh, Just throw
0: your other hand I'm going down to, there and see what no, happens to it. I'm going
7: to try a different tact. I'd like to gaze into the abyss with me dark vision. Alright. So you have to kind of step underneath the large wooden platform, kind
5: of move through the broken portion of it. You can see where elements of it are jammed in this kind of uh, gravelly sand texture that formulates this small funnel. Um, It's roughly about 12 to 15 feet across, um, and part of it does spill out into the opposite side of this open area. As you kind of glance towards the edge, you feel the sand kind of give a little bit under your foot. Go Uh-oh. ahead. Go ahead and make a dexterity check. Oh, thank God! A <laughs> saving throw. So that would just be a uh... saving throw, which should be at the top gotcha. of my stats. Uh, a hot nine. As you look over and step, you find the sand begin to slip from underneath you. You reach up to try and grab one of the wooden platforms to keep yourself stable. However, your other foot that you had your uh, your weight on also slips as the sand dirt seems to give on. Un- uh, from you under- entirely, as you hit your side, you feel it actually beginning to cave inward and pull you deeper, deeper into this small recess of the ground. You're now up to your waist, being pulled underneath the surface. You guys watch him being sucked in. A little
0: help! Uh, 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 grab him! Grab him! Deal. Get in there! Oh grab! Him. Grab, him. Grab, him grab him! Oh grab him. Grab him. You grab! Him. grab him. As 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 in there!
11: deep. Stop. Stop. I'm stop. Much I'm me. jump 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 I'm I'll inside. I'm jump inside. I I'm jump. inside come on follow me All right. as <laughs> you leap which at this point you're just past your
5: face and nose under the sand you leap onto and grabbing onto
8: the,
5: the sides of his head just as it passes past <laughs> past his eyes as you grab it you now plant your feet to pull what you're used to when it you know you get a nice firm <laughs> foot hold and pull There's no firm foothold. Your feet go into the sand, and you just continue going underneath with him until eventually you yourself are completely submerged and disappear beneath the surface of this. Now leaving you alone, staring at this now slowly stopping funnel of cascading sand. Oh
8: shit! What? What
0: Well, fuck it, I'm going to jump in after them. Oh, this is stupid. (laughs) This is
5: stupid, stupid, stupid. Uh, uh, Yeah, I'm gonna jump in after them. All right, you run and you leap, and with a (laughs) impact sound, your tiefling self dips and immediately disappears beneath the surface. There's a few moments of very scary breathlessness as all of a sudden suffocation hits each of you. The darkness, you're unable to see, you're unable to move, and there's just this constraint of earth pressing around you, and for a good five to 10 seconds, you begin to come to terms with your mortality, as if this is your final moments on this plane. Well, this sucks so far. (laughs) Then you feel this strange lightning sensation in your feet, almost like the pressure is beginning to alleviate, and with that, You now fall. You're falling in darkness.
8: No! Ah! Oh God, no! I'm gonna die! No! I use my dark vision. to kind of see what's below me.
7: Unfortunately, there is no light source down here at all, so
5: you don't even have dim light to work off of. It is pure darkness. However, I want you all to make an acrobatics check, disadvantage. How do I
7: echolocate?
5: So roll. Roll 2d20 and drop the highest.
7: Wait. What?
1: Roll two. Tw- Roll twice and use the lowest one. I rolled a oh,
7: two well. and a three. <laughs> <laughs> also, I rolled, uh, two. <clears> throat> on, throat> I got an 11.
3: Okay.
11: I rolled a... Uh, wait, so what do I add
7: that to? Uh, acrobatic, <laughs> so that'd be plus one. <laughs> <laughs> I rolled uh, a... Okay. 17. <laughs> 17, three. 11, yes. 3. Alright, so you both... <laughs> impact on
5: soft sand, and in the immediate point of impact, you just instinctively, have, learning how to fall and tumble, you manage to go with the momentum and step out of the way of that impact, minimizing the damage. You each take, actually, you take two points of damage, you take one point of damage. Ooh. You, however, go face first into the top, taking a significant amount of impact to your, your spine, your neck, and your shoulders. You take four points of damage from the fall. Uh, and are now head, head buried like an ostrich in the top of the sand pile, with your legs and arms dangling, like, get
8: me out Get I on
0: me, I got you know
7: sand burn on me, burn! Oh my god, get me out of the ground, I'm ready, you guys! But what else Don't
11: get him yet, let's look at it. It's a damn dwarf! It's
5: not very hard, you yank him out at this point. It is nearly pitch black in this area, you can barely see a, few, a couple feet in front of you. But you can hear immediately there is this kind of distant sound, almost like the ringing of very, very gentle bells. It seems very out of place and perpetual, and the tone shifts and overlaps.
11: Yo, Yo, y'all hear that? Yeah. See so that money clinkling? Now nah, that's some money clinkling right there. That's not that. that I don't think clinkling. that's money. Find crystal it's it's your head going yeah, straight yeah, for a second. have Clinkling, sound. money be clinkling like? Oh. No, I think this is
0: a great idea. Run straight towards it, why don't you? Just see, Go run right to it. Nah. It's probably money. Nah, is last it? time it's I probably did, money. Last
11: time we did something like that, we ended up in a hole and your head was upside down. That was a great moment. see, it's moments like this that make memories, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to see that when I to sleep later. <laughs> yeah, oh.
7: Um, so the rumor in it is it's mostly sand. Can it, does it seem like you there's only stone a anywhere? Few feet in front of you. Okay.
11: Do you have a torch or any sort of light source? Yeah, I have a torch. Got a torch in my ears pack. <laughs> oh, I love your theme songs.
8: Yeah.
5: <laughs> you light up a torch as the light source breathes out of the room, you can see uh, there's a large large dome of sand that has slowly caved in from the top surface of this the, this kind of small cave in. Uh, however, about 30 feet down, it comes to rest and what looks like some sort of a slightly toppled stone structure that has been breached on this side, almost like there was something deep under the ground that has crumbled inward and the sand has slowly poured into it
7: also seems to be the source of the strange ringing sound, this faint ringing. Um, yeah. I'd like to investigate the stone object and use stone cutting to see so okay.
2: if I can have yeah, it that, in the
11: Georgian. you that, Georgian. that stone oh, cutting? Yeah. You, you know, know I know the stone. stone, stone. Yeah, yeah, yo, and I give them Dwarven Dap, because that's some Dwarven <laughs> stuff right there. That's we the, dap it up That's pro pro that new shit right there. What was this? Oh, look at me! Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. a halfling. Hey, get yeah, real. I know, yeah. <laughs> 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 well, us your Tuar, you're quite useful in these situations. Yo, yo, hey, uh, uh, my man Snuggle, look at the rock. Ah, you can't tell me shit, because you're not a dwarf. <laughs> yeah, oh, Man, you uh, can't tell me uh, shit. Are your hand because you've been burnt. Uh, yeah! <laughs> and get some, oh uh, yeah, your hand's looking really good right now. You, yeah, like your self-confidence. <laughs> yeah, now let yeah. me look
7: at the store. I know. Red <laughs> roll investigation. Uh, 15. Do I add anything for stone counting? Uh, I would say it would be advantage of the rolls, so you can roll a second okay. Sure. All right, I'm sticking with the fifteen. All right. <laughs> so as you step up to the the
5: what looks like a little bit of of this stone outcropping that's that's kind of slowly peering out of the uh, the earth, it looks like this is the upper corner of a stone chamber that has crumbled in a little bit, and you're now peering into it from an elevated position outside of the chamber, looking at the uh, the structure of the stone, the way it's built, carved and wedged together to form the uh, uh, almost brick like pattern of its of its making. Uh, it's definitely not dwarven in make, but it looks very old, uh, and it looks. Like the material itself is almost like a like a sandstone, uh, and a lot of civilizations that long existed before proper stone cutting techniques were used, or stone can be moved from nearby mountains or underground territory, or the, even the dwarven stone cutting techniques were spread across the land. This was a very primitive way of building uh, subterranean structures. You gather this interior is probably very very old, well over a thousand years. Um, and as you peer down into it using the torchlight, you can see down into the chamber. Uh, it's it's. Rectangular in shape, there appears to be a trough with some sort of liquid that kind of is in an ovaloid shape around a raised platform in the center. And in the center of this platform, on top of it, you can see a very, very dull blue glow from this this crystalline uh, uh, kind of spherical orb that is resting on it. That's just giving off this very, very faint blue light. And the further you walk towards it, as you inspect the interior from the top of the uh, of the the hole in this, this stone structure you hear that musical ringing sound get louder and louder as you step towards it.
7: Gotcha. How big does the crystal look like, roughly in size, shape, and weight? About, I'd say the baseball size is about that big around. Okay. You, you it's about 25 <clears throat> feet from you, currently.
5: Um, Yo. can, can I check the room for traps? You're welcome to, if you want to step up to the corner.
11: Yeah, you better do it quick, because that's a big-ass crystal, oh, yeah. and it looks like it's worth a oh, lot. lot of money. I really I want to, to check for you know, traps before this guy. Walk. Yo, <laughs> <make> <laughs> you better check. just hurry up and check it, man. Come about to run okay. in
7: there. Plus perception. Uh, it's plus three. Earn. Yeah, perception.
5: Okay, uh, twenty-two. Twenty-two. As you kind of step towards the edge of the corner, you can see like, the sand that is spilled into the, the, uh, the room allows you a small uh, decline to step into the room if you'd like to. As you get to the edge of the sand, you glance at the nearby panels and you can see there are small. Uh, Language runes that are carved into portions of the floor, many of which seem to be just situationally uh, part of like a hieroglyphic storytelling aspect, the whole room, but a language you don't understand. What languages do you guys speak? Or common, and dwarven. Yeah. Common, common and dwarven.
0: I have no idea.
5: We're going to say you don't know it because um, <laughs> it keeps mystery abound. But you do notice that there are a handful of runes across the floor, primarily at the north, south, east, west type portions of the, uh, of the stone flooring surrounding the the crystal, and where that small water trough surrounds it. On the outskirts of that water, on those positions, those two, those four corners, uh, the runes are deeper carved into the stone, and seem to almost have a, a quartz-like texture to them, almost like there was something, a quartz set into the stone flooring.
8: Mm. Mm.
0: Totally clear. You should run down in there and see what, uh, you know, see what that's great. all about.
7: Sounds yeah. I've got an idea. Does any of you have something similar to the size of that there gem?
11: Oh, it's a good idea. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm gonna get yo, a high start. Do, Yeah, you, you sound like you're taking ideas the from some type of lore that may not exist on this plane, and it sounds like a dumbass idea. No, <laughs> no, it's gonna be great. I trust I'm me. I'm pretty it's sure going I've well.
0: heard this tale many, many
7: years ago, uh, and I, I, I don't think it works out too well. This is anything but derivative. I don't know what you're talking about. You've heard the trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: there will be a giant boulder that will come rolling down towards your face. I
11: I don't think it will work. Yo, how about this? Rope test 2.0, okay? (laughs) So we're gonna get a rope and we're gonna throw it on the floor. We're gonna throw the rope on the floor. And then if anything happens, we know it's a trap. If not, (laughs) I go and get my new gym. Uh, as long as you throw the rope, I'm okay with this plan. Swerve. All right, I'm going to cut a piece of work. <laughs> oh, more classic slang. <laughs>
8: oh, love it.
11: It, worked,
1: it works for anything. Oh, kitten masturbation, classic. Classic Oh, <laughs> you <laughs> have to see it to me. believe it.
2: <laughs> Be Sounds like these bells. Starter. Classic dwarf.
5: All right, so as you, as you step down into the room, um, you take a little bit of the rope, you cut it off with, with one of your swords, you take it and you toss it towards one of the small quartz like runes in the ground. It hits and comes to rest over the, the small central quartz type rune. A few moments pass, no reaction. Then the room shudders for a second. You feel the entire structure kind of shake with a sudden impact. A little bit of the sand oh, not good. comes down and settles to rest for, for a moment before you start seeing. Certain blocks on the opposite sides of the room begin to glow. Oh, great! As they glow, they begin to drift out of the walls, almost uh, suspended in the air, and beginning to lock together in different places until eventually it forms a haphazard humanoid figure in a matter of
11: seconds. Oh, what is that? Oh, my goodness! This is Whoa. definitely not. Oh, idea. Wow. No, This is some like weird, like sp- some like. What?! <laughs> you took the waves out of me mouth! <laughs> oh, oh, damn!
5: At which point, this this hulking humanoid form, probably now standing at a, <laughs> close to eight and a half, nine feet tall, made of these sandstone blocks that have been pulled from the wall, hands in place, unmoving, the crystal in the center of the room flashes with a vibrant blue light, as it does in the center of this chamber where the eyes and the mouth of this humanoid would be, a similar blue light suddenly flicks on, like it's been given sudden sentience. Oh. At which point, this large, sandstone golem-type entity begins to charge towards oh, you. Geez. Roll initiative. Oh! <laughs> okay, so what we
0: have now? So you roll a d20, add uh, your initiative modifier. we fought some golems before. <clears throat> That's all I add? Yeah.
11: Okay.
7: All right, so. <laughs> uh, s- uh, 20.
11: Nice. 16. Six. Oh. <laughs> nice. I like to call
7: that the ringer, baby. <laughs> Button clean up. <laughs> Alright, uh, so we're gonna say at the top of the round
5: uh, Salty, you got first up. Oh, great. You're still on the outskirts of the room now. The only person who's really stepped in at this point are the two of them. You're kind of still up at the corner. Mm-hmm. So you see it kind of charging more towards these two, but you have the top of the round, so gotcha.
7: up to you. I'd like to slink off to the right, draw my short bow, okay. uh, and try to shoot an arrow at the crystal.
5: Okay. Cool. So as you kind of Slide down the the sand decline. You come around the edge, pull out your short bow,
2: let it fly. Go ahead and roll for an attack. Decline. Uh, oh no!
7: Sand
2: decline. He's showing his legitimate
1: d11.
7: Uh, 11.
5: Eleven. As you release the arrow. Uh, the shuddering of each footstep of the golem and stuff—it's very upsetting. And in the chaos, you let go of the arrow, missing by a mere inch, oh, as it disappears so into the darkness.
7: You hear it ricochet. You trail. ain't no elf,
11: no. man. You ain't no elf. I, I know. I wake
7: stuff? up every day ashamed. Where's, where's your weapon? <laughs> 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 so
5: that takes you to rest inside the chamber, kind of off to the right, where the rest of the party is. Next up, we have Snuggle Lord. Okay, so. Moving towards you.
0: It's running towards me really fast. I, I look around me and I freak out and I go, "Oh shit!" And I, uh, I cast that Thaumaturgy, and make myself appear to be a massive, giant-like individual with a booming voice, and I
11: intimidate him and go, You are beneath me, you foul creature! Yeah, yeah, make so him
5: punch you first! For, for, for a moment, <laughs> this the, the, this frightened, shaking, uh, uh, tiefling individual grounds himself, and this kind of greenish energy begins to build around his body. As it does, his physical form seems to almost rise two to three feet. His shoulders broaden, his face grows dark, his eyes begin to spark with a fiery red light. The voice booms out throughout the hallway and the entirety of this room structure catching you off guard. Go ahead and roll an intimidation check.
2: Oh shit.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) that could be
0: okay. Eight. Eight? Yeah.
5: Total? That's with a plus six.
2: (laughs) Oh. Neither
5: wow. neither the speed, gait, or power of the golem seem to have slowed. It continues to barrel towards you.
11: You just made him bigger! You just made him bigger! You just made him bigger! I'll pay you more money, I he swear! Get in there! All of
0: my earnings from this, like, that dude, that dad, that bad father, obviously, he, I'll give you all of it. Just, just take care of this. World. As you're saying
5: this, the golem reaches for before you finish your sentence and goes to grab you. Bye. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's your armor class? Uh, studded
0: leather and 13 is my
5: armor class. Okay. Uh, you take. Uh You take five points of crushing damage as the hand reaches, crushes down on your shoulders and body, lifts you off your feet, and you are now considered grappled.
7: Motherfucker, has got a hand. Oh, there, there you. you You're the the die. Die. Oh, God. Hey, He you're picked hey. him up. Hey, he just grabbed him. They're ducking. Oh, thing, no.
11: So, if I'm swinging with two weapons, do I roll twice? Uh, You do use
5: a bonus action for a second attack. You just don't add your strength modifier to the second attack. Oh, that looks Um,
11: good. So, that's going to be 18.
5: 18, okay, and roll the second attack.
11: All right. Uh, Oh, and because I have the uh, uh, two weapon fighter, I still get to add the strength modifier. Oh, you do? Awesome. See, you can do both. Nice. Oh, that one uh, is uh, going to be. 12.
5: 12. 12 misses, unfortunately, but the first attack does ring true. Go ahead and roll damage.
11: All right. Well, you missed an eight. You are not Mr. Eight, there is. Just... <laughs> That's Mr. Eight. Uh, I swing for plus strength, Uh, 11. 11 points of damage, nice.
5: So after it grabs and picks up the tiefling, you can see the fingers actually crushing it as it's screaming. You pull the weapons out, swing one that manages to pass under its arm. The second one goes straight into its torso and carves out a portion of the stone. Even though the sandstone is a very hard surface, you manage to find a portion between the bricks that jam together and actually carves a chunk of brick out of the side of its torso. You can see the structure kind of shifts a little bit on one side and now it's kind of standing a little off kilter, but it's still solid in its current physical form. Uh, But well done, you pull a sizable part out of it.
3: Brings us
11: hit. Uh, Up still the cross, you dumbass today. do something! That's, That's some the, extra money, boy.
7: Um, I'd like to reload my bow and take another shot.
2: You reload that bow. Yeah.
7: Go ahead and fire again.
2: That bow. Is he bow. trying the same mm. thing again?
0: I can't see anything. There's a giant-You bitch Fucking hand covering my face!
7: <laughs> um uh 13. 13? Mm-hmm. As you
5: swing and release, this does hit the crystal. But at a certain angle that causes it to oh, just come on. off. It is a sphere. <laughs> it did. It's a spherical object. Unfortunately, it deflects coming, coming Ugh.
7: piercing very well. Got close, but not quite enough to get to it. That's, Do you wanna move or are you gonna stay where you are? Uh, I'm going to uh yeah, I'm gonna move back. I'm gonna move closer by ten feet to the crystal.
5: Okay, so you shift up, you're now at the outskirts of that, that
7: liquid yeah, surrounding it.
8: Yeah.
5: Okay. It's only about five feet wide, so you can jump over to easily, cool, you cool, stop cool. there. That brings ends your turn. Uh you're up, Snugs. Um, okay, can I use the Hellish Rebuke on him? You can.
0: Am I allowed to do that?
5: You can, that's the Hellish Rebuke. <laughs>
8: There's
5: the ability here, let me pull it up real fast because I had too find any Tieflings. There we go. Hellish Rebuke. That's a reaction you, you can make in response. So you actually could do that lap, Like as he's crushing you, which we'll say you do right now. So as he's crushing you, you do that as a reaction immediately. You point your finger and the damage,
7: Hey, right, so it's going to, try no, to stop it. So it's it. being crushed. Like,
5: you point your finger at, at yeah. its arm.
6: I, 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 I,
5: <laughs> the wet willy. As, as you awkwardly finger the uh, the sandstone <laughs> golem's uh, it's great. brick structure, it fails at saving throw, so it takes two d10 fire damage.
7: Uh, What's ahead, on that finger? Go, go, ahead, go ahead, and roll.
5: So uh, ten cider twice. Ten cider. Okay. It's a roll
2: habanero sauce, wet willy. Yeah. Really? It's a spicy finger to blast.
8: Two and
5: four. Two and four? So six points of fire damage. As your finger enters the portion between the bricks, there's a burst of, of flame, and it looks like an, a, an impact of some sort of internal arcane explosion, causing the, the sutures between all the different bricks to so shake for a second. You see dust and sand settle between the uh, portions of its torso that are holding its limbs to it. Uh, a pretty sizable impact from an unexpected position. So that was your reaction. Now what do you want to do for your turn?
0: Okay, great. Um, Okay, so the cantrips can be used every as many, time time as many times time as you want. Uh, yeah, do,
7: some, do some more of that fire
11: stuff. Cast a
7: spell.
0: It'll yeah, be yeah. great.
7: <laughs> Two more of that finger stuff.
11: Use it.
0: Uh, I'm going to use the poison spray on him.
11: Okay, Let's okay. See if that does anything. Yo, you trying to poison some magic stuff? Ah! I'm
7: Whoa. learning, Sandstone's greatest weakness. Ah, poison. S- <laughs> 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 Alright, so. Uh, you bring your hand out
5: Towards the creature, you release this this, this sudden burst of poisonous gas. It seems- I'm panicking, assholes! I'm
0: freaking held up by the top of my head. This is really excruciating pain.
5: (laughs) I may have made a poor
0: decision. I don't know,
5: I'm just doing something. As as the cloud swarms around the entity, it does not seem to be affected by the presence of poison as its physical form does not fall into the category of a natural living entity. Um, However, you can use your movement to try and break free of the grapple.
6: Uh, so, I try to run away, and okay. get out of yeah, the— You try and break out. So go ahead, and you can make either
5: an athletics or an acrobatics roll. Your choice. Oh!
8: <laughs> um.
5: You should add uh, acrobatics. Acrobatics! <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead and roll an add acrobatics. Okay, uh,
7: that's 12.
5: 12? All right. You managed to just squeeze out of its grip, land on your feet, and get back about five feet. It's still right oh. in front of you, but you're no longer in its grip. Slippery
7: bastard!
4: Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh,
5: Okay, so as it's turned, it's going to do uh, frenzy punches. It's going to do an attack on both of you. Oh, it's a giant fist. Oh. It clenches its fingers together into two giant hammers of sandstone. Come on. <laughs> oh,
0: oh, damn it! No, I can't take this kind of punishment.
5: That's going to You're be a a, to take these. a sixteen against you. Uh, my armor class is sixteen. It just manages to impact. So as uh. one fist goes, boof, hitting you right in the bread basket. You can feel oh. the armor absorbs a lot of the blow, but it still nearly knocks the wind out of you. Blow the basket. Uh. <laughs> You take seven points of bludgeoning damage. God damn! And the sheer impacting force of the blow, as it pulls its fist back, it backhands towards you. of course, yeah, give me the backhand. That's going to be a an eight. What's your armor class? Thirteen. Thirteen. You whoosh, duck beneath the arc and swings oh. wildly, missing you entirely. You <laughs>
11: that! All that luck being wasted on you, man. Oh, that hurt. Wolfgar, it's your
5: turn now as you recover from the blow.
11: You got this! You got this! Oh, uh, nobody punched me in the chest and lived to tell the tale. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and slice and dice. <laughs> All right, Regina! I swing uh, for His right hand sword Uh, 21 (laughs) For Regina
7: His
0: right hand sword I just
11: love color commentary And Linda and with Linda I swing for 19
5: Both hit, go and roll
11: damage on both strikes Oh (laughs) yeah So uh, Regina (laughs) Smacks for 5 Linda smacks for 11. Nice. So,
5: you bring both swings down simultaneously, sh- streaking an X-mark strike across its back. As you do, you carve a sizable rock from the side of its back. As the stones tumble off of its torso and kind of its shoulder area, it hits the ground and poof, they just turn to dust upon impact of the ground. You can see now, within the sandstone in the center, there is kind of a crackling arcane energy, almost like a spider-like electricity that is holding its form together, that is the same color as the stone in the center of the room. Like, do you want to move it all, you going to stay where you uh, are?
11: I think I'm going to stay there and actually use an action surge to swing at the innards of this beast. Okay, go
5: ahead and roll another attack.
11: Oh, oh. I don't know I'm do do going to play play us. up in this beast! Uh, like the logic school bus going, going inside. That is <laughs> 14.
5: 14. I I With this way action surge be strike, you go and oh, you bring oh, your, your sword don't. down. As your sword gets within a few inches of the back, a bit of that blue energy arcs out and hits the blade, causing your hand to recoil instinctively. Oh. You drop the weapon for a second from the sheer like, shock of it, realize what you've done, and reach out and pick it up again. It manages to knock your attack out of use, unfortunately.
11: Uh, uh, y'all, go for the crystal. I think the yeah. blue stuff ain't worth think?
7: <laughs> <laughs> that brings us up to the top. Salty, you're up. All right. I Do it am-
0: again! I know I said it was stupid last time, but go for it!
7: <laughs> I'm going to believe in myself. Um, I'm gonna sprint towards the crystal, leap through the air, doing a flip, grabbing it, and taking it <laughs> out of its <laughs> way.
11: Alright! Alright, so right,
7: so so go ahead and make an acrobatics roll. Okay. I got a one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> this, this tie is terrible, so oh, this no. is hot no. garbage. <laughs>
8: back up,
5: pushing off the back wall of the room. You go into a ninja sprint, leap through the air, over the, the moat of brackish liquid around the orb. You reach out and realize you're about a foot and a half too high. Oh, you reach no. down for it, pass it through your fingers, you tumble over and land back first into the other side of the moat. Splash ah. in the liquid all over your back and torso. You tumble off, slide across to the other side of the room, slam, hitting the opposite side on the wall, on your back, with your feet ass up. Ass over tea kettle. Never believe in yourself. <laughs> you're considered prone, and you take three points of acid damage from splashing in the liquid. Oh, God. <laughs> Snuggle Lord, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never
8: Believing in yourself is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it? What's
2: it? It's coming, D- D- D teaches uh, real It's not life in that lessons. section. Wait. <laughs> 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 is
8: it
0: Ah, this <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost got it! I no yeah. Friends! It's a... <laughs> <laughs> I need a cast against a pill called Friends! <laughs> oh yes. no, I can't. No, I can't. I can't do it because he's hostile, hostile to me. Um... I uh, cast fire into the weak spot uh, on the back to see if fire does
5: anything to disrupt the energy that's inside. What, what spell are you using for that? Uh, the uh, thum- thumatur- Thumaturgy. Okay, as you focus for a second, you raise your hand up in the air using your, your demonic heritage to Whoops. call forth some infernal fire that bursts for a second in the center of where the electricity is. It sparks up and then is snuffed. No seeming effect.
0: Yeah, Uh can, am I allowed to move after
5: that? You can move back. That, yeah. I,
0: I move a couple steps back too. I was like, oh shit, 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 shit,
5: shit. Okay, so shit, you, shit, you carefully step away. Uh, <laughs> it takes a swing at you as you step out of its range. That is going to be a an eleven, which I believe misses you. Yes. So as you step out of the way, it comes down with a giant fist, hammer blow style, and you. <clears throat>
7: sidestep out of the way, as it <clears throat> cracks some of the stone on the ground? Can we
0: all take a second to laugh at how great what salty just did was? Because that was amazing. It was
11: pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> of yeah. I mean, so much. All right. Uh, Am I cl- close enough to the crystal to run towards it? Uh, You can. You probably take an attack from the creature. All right. Uh, Yeah, run towards it safely, not trying to do any fancy flips or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
5: so as you rush past, uh, it swings out at you. That's going to be a 14. I think you said your AC 16. Yeah. So you just, it, it glances off your shoulder. You take the blow, but keep pushing forward with the sheer force of your dwarven physical self. Woo-hoo! As you uh, leap... Just over the uh, the liquid, I'm just gonna make you have a quick athletics roll. All right.
11: I roll. Uh, uh, 24. 24.
5: Oh, come yeah. on. You leap across, <laughs> three point landing. Landing on the ground, you stand up, the there in front of you. You want to grab the orb, you said? You want to grab the orb, you said? Yes. Okay, you grab the orb, you pull it off the pedestal, uh, make a constitution saving throw. Classic slang. <laughs>
8: uh,
11: I, throw constitution, uh, I roll a goddamn 24. 24.
5: As you, as you clutch the orb, you can feel for a moment Uh, the electrical energy surging through your forearms and into your body, and for a second your muscles tense and you feel like your physical form is being slowed down, but you shrug it off for a second as you're clutching it in your hands right now. You're looking at it, you've pulled it off the pedestal. Uh, As you pull off the pedestal, it leaves a couple of trails of sparks off the top that kind of stretch out between the pedestal and where you're pulling the orb off. Um, You look back and the, the entity currently is looking like it's slowing in its physical ability to move around once it's in your grasp, but it is still turning around towards you, kind of looking, noticing that you've now grabbed something that is inherently connected to its physicality.
11: All right, then I break it and say, I own you! <laughs> Three <seconds>.
8: oh.
5: <laughs> Great, great control. <laughs>
8: uh,
5: 14. 14. All right,
8: you take the orb,
5: you spike it on the ground, and you see it crack upon the impact. It doesn't break, but a big solid crack suddenly spiders through the entire interior of the orb. As it rolls off and kind of into the, uh, the the liquid on the outskirts, you can see that electrical uh, center in the center of the, the sandstone golem flicker and flash with light, and you see one of its arms hits the ground behind it and scatters into dust. In sand. It's still keeping its form together and it's kind of like lurching towards you with its other arm rearing back for some sort of an attack, but uh, it looks like it's having a really hard time holding itself together. Woo. That's gonna end your turn, Salty, you're up.
11: Salty, you gotta put your hand in the juice again. You gotta put your hand in the juice, get that on. You cut up, be serious. <laughs> uh,
2: believe, believe, Salty. No, it
7: never works. <laughs>
2: put your uh, hand I'm gonna in the juice.
7: That. So if I'm not mistaken I can expend a hit die to regain some health is that true? You can during a rest oh, not in the middle sure. of the combat unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got this baby. I've got I think I have 3 hit points. <laughs> 5 or 3 somewhere in. I think I'm at 5. Um so the sorry, the orb is in
5: it's currently. It, it, he slammed it in the ground. It cracked and it rolled into the, uh, the the
7: moat on the kind of to you be on the right side of
5: the building oh, right now.
7: Come on. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to uh, take my cape, uh, wrap it around my arm, okay, um, and just run and scoop it. Okay, so you
5: use half your movement to get up and you rush towards. You can get just to the the outside of it. It's, you can see a little bit of the blue interior. You reach down inside and you pull it up. I uh, want you to go to make a constitution saving throw. Uh oh. Mm.
7: You got this! Not using that. Salty. Not using that die, yeah. I kind of
0: believe in you! Sultry. Oh,
7: you shouldn't have done that. Oh, <laughs> it's no. only a seven.
0: Oh, no, so,
5: so as you pick up the orb, you grab it. As triumphantly in your hand, you can see the liquid itself <laughs> not touching your skin for once. However, there is a surge of electrical energy into your body, and as you grasp it, you feel the muscles in your arm and shoulder and back all tense up. You find yourself held in place, unable to move. Uh, guys, that ends your turn. Help. That brings us to Snuggle Lord, what you got?
11: Shit. It's the orb! Break that orb, man! Uh, it's the orb! I, uh...
0: I pull out my crossbow. Oh no! No! anything you but you? bad! <laughs> I always thought it was gonna end like this! That's what the gypsy woman said! I have
5: You have other spells?
0: Uh, not really. But I, I picked terrible <laughs> yeah. spells for this.
5: You have your first level spells? You have three you should have. Yeah, and tray What's
1: your melee weapon? Eldr- Eldritch I, Blast. I have a, I have a oh, hand axe. Eldritch Blast. I you do have it. Eldritch
10: Blast? You have ultra no, he doesn't I have ultrash blasts. No. I picked all of the, the spells I picked
0: are all based on me lying to people. Exactly. <laughs> 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 I am worthless <laughs> in a battle.
1: Smash it. Okay, Wait, I'm gonna what? I'm gonna
0: smash it at it. I'm gonna run up and smash please it in his no. hand. Please, no. With <laughs> hand got I'm <laughs> my <head laughs> got I so I I'm hand I might want to aim. I love it, please. Don't worry, don't worry. I'll drink your I'm obviously about his hand. He's already lost a lot of I stuff, know. His skin is gone. Like, it'll be... It doesn't matter, you're not going to masturbate with that thing anyway anymore. I never did! I take (laughs) it that way! It was was never Lord's
5: tiefling form darts into the shaded interior of the room, runs across, Go ahead and uh, just make an acrobatics check real fast and <laughs> leap across the moat. Oh, oh,
7: Severus wanking hand!
5: Classic
1: of dwarven <laughs> Oh, Classic dwarven. tiefling
5: betrayal! Okay, all right, uh, 19. 19. You leap over without an issue, you actually tumble and roll on the ground as you come up, use the inertia to swing your axe in a wide arc down towards his hand, roll and attack. <laughs>
11: yeah! Okay, so, I'll drink to your name, man! What do, yeah, I, add? Okay. The what do I add on these for uh, attack? Yeah, 15. I, I,
7: you beat a 14 armor class. You hit. Dang okay, so
1: still the <laughs> character holding up so, the whole oh armor. No. Go
7: ahead, and roll damage for <laughs> the
5: axe.
1: Uh, what do I use? Oh, as the this I is I gonna suck. <laughs>
5: 1d6. 1d6 and add your strength modifier to it.
0: Well,
5: that's zero. zero.
1: All right. One. One. Oh, no! no! That's, that's really tack. One's no. all you needed. One, okay. That, needed? That, that,
5: the crystal was already heavily damaged. You bring the ax down. You made the ball. It, it shatters the crystal into a into hundred pieces across the room. Um. I want you to go ahead and
7: roll another damage attack on his hand. Fucking yeah. great. How
2: many hit points did you have, left? Uh,
7: Five okay, no, on a good you. day. Three more realistically. <laughs> good day. Low roll, low roll, low roll. One, one, uh, five. 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 <laughs> That's a fire, So as, as the crystal shatters, you can sure. see yeah. the golem form,
5: which is coming up behind you with a giant piston-like hand, suddenly just vanishes into dust and sparks as it scatters across the ground. The axe swings through, and you're extremely excited at the impact as you look up and see what is a fingerless half-hand now bleeding profusely.
0: <laughs> you look better now! Oh,
7: <laughs> everybody's a fucking comedian.
5: Which is the last words you say before you fall unconscious in the ground from the severe shock and blood loss.
7: I should. I miss my blood. <laughs> we did it,
11: Odin. Oh man, I really like that dude, man.
7: He's
0: fine, he just lost some fingers.
11: So as he's now unconscious on the ground,
5: just, bleeding ah, out. This you know, is a whole dream. Uh, Does anyone want to try and help him? Or are you yeah, gonna yeah, help yeah, I'm going to try medicine. and resurrect medicine. him in some way. So All right, so go go ahead, and go ahead and make a medicine check. Uh, Do you have a medicine <laughs> kit or anything like that? I still uh, have
8: one. Yes, I just yes. have
11: the Dungeoneer's
5: kit. All right, Ma- make a medicine check.
0: Honorize the wound. Oh. <laughs>
2: Are you trying to say stop the bleeding? The thaumaturgy is that what you're trying yeah, to? Yeah, cauterize is? my stump,
1: stump. stump. Yeah. stump yeah. in with by screaming. You at could it? stick a dagger into the end of that. He knows thaumaturgy. He yeah. Can or that
7: spicy finger. We'll
1: so, so. And stop as, it, and then so you're fight. saying I should
11: I, I, roll 17 for medicine.
5: 17. Okay. We'll say you. Between the two of you, you working together to get, to bring out like you know some some material. You rip off uh, part of a, a cloth you had and start in your bag. You use some to go ahead and cauterize the wound. Eventually, you stop the bleeding. You wrap it up, and you wait a few moments. He comes to slow consciousness, sore, worse for wear, but alive nevertheless.
7: Oh, you did good. I you did it. did, uh, did man. I beat the golem. <laughs> I did it. Uh, yeah. You did oh, all of it, it was oh, all man. you.
11: I'm gonna blow up blood. i just, uh, uh just, does. just wanna <laughs> get you guys uh, uh, uh invoice. Uh, that that gym that you guys destroyed was probably worth, like, 500 gold, so y'all both are in debt. You're adept. still getting paid! You're still getting yeah. paid! We just go oh, back yeah. to the bad father, he'll give you your money. Yeah, yeah, you totally gave up your share, so it's between me and Salty oh, Sam. Oh, you
9: remember
5: that! Uh, yeah. You notice as you're on the ground side looking around, the brackish liquid that surrounded it, it seems to have lost a lot of its uh, darker, kind of viscous uh,
7: aspect, and now it's kind of clear, smooth, pure water. I'm gonna plunge my mangled paw <laughs> into that clear ass water. Oh, it is cold and 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 slightly oh. uh,
5: helpful in, in soothing the pain. Um, and you are glad, for once since you've arrived here, to see some water that is not absolutely terrifying.
7: Thank
11: God for oh, that! Yeah, yeah, oh, man, we did it. It's good. It's good. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so do you want me to pick up your fingers? Yeah, <laughs> that'd be fucking great. All right. So I put his fingers in my pants. Go, tr- <laughs> go ahead, Go ahead.
5: Go ahead and make a perception check.
11: All right. <laughs> <laughs> two oh. fingers. One, two. Mission. Where are the other three? Uh, <laughs> for perception, a ten. ten. You find two fingers, <laughs> oh. God knows <laughs> the, oh, the,
5: arms. the rest are buried either somewhere in the remains of the sand creature or somewhere else in the room, but after a good five minutes of scouting, you manage to find two of the digits.
1: All right. He can still rock
6: on, though.
5: Yeah, <laughs> at least these two. two. That's all you need. This is all I have,
1: <laughs> serves up.
5: As you guys slowly find your way Back up to the top of, of, of the, the pile of sand that led you into this chamber. You look up and you can see there's a small bit of light, and you hear a voice echoing through going, Hello? Hello?
0: Uh, yeah, we, we are down here, and all the trouble seems to be gone.
5: Hello? Right?
0: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. you could say that. Enough. We're kind of okay. Alright, hold on.
5: And eventually, over a few minutes, you see a small rope being let down. Oh, that's what I like to see. One by one, they you pull You know how you, how you like
0: those ropes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
5: Well, then when they pull you back up, up to the yes. surface, you find yourself in the center of the town, and everyone's gathered around with what seems to be a slightly more positive demeanor to them. Uh, as you guys all get up there, Lily runs up and kind of gives you all a, an immediate hug and says, "Thank you. I felt it lift. I felt the darkness in my mind disappear. Whatever you did, it worked. You've lifted the curse. Please, please,
0: please, <laughs> don't, don't shower us with all of your riches and food and foul." Foul women. This guy's delirious from fighting a golem. <laughs> like if own. you <laughs> must, if you must, throw all of those things at us as a, some sort of reward for the good deed we have just done, that would be that would be wonderful and
5: great. Uh, all of them kind of look at each other, and you can see there's a few of the people now have stepped out of the, the tent. Some of them almost leprous in the way they're they're bandaged. Just go, uh, and the old woman goes, uh, uh,
3: "We haven't much in the
7: way of food, um, but we've
5: pulled our resources." And she looks to the uh, the halfling male, but apparently the father figure to Lily, who says, "A promise is a promise." and he reaches back and he pulls out a pouch. You can see his hefty full of coins and looks to who to plop it to immediately.
11: It's, it's over here. Yes. He gave it away in the back. He's not yeah. gonna catch it.
0: He's not gonna catch oh, it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, great!
11: Make for the cripple. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know, Lily, I just want to say I really like these moments we share together. Uh, <laughs> I think that we make a good team, and I'd love for you to continue on this adventure with us, and so we can get to know each other. The sandstones on this one. Uh, it's uh, you know, uh, it's like uh you know, it's like an adventure date, <laughs> you know.
5: Uh make a persuasion roll against her father.
11: <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, uh nine.
5: She looks look at you with him with a smile of hope looks at her father who goes
11: No, oh, man, I saved your town. <laughs> and all you've right.
7: been paid for it. All right, all right. What about this? We want the crone with the violin. <laughs> <laughs> she looks
5: ecstatic at the prospect that somebody even noticed her playing. It goes,
8: oh, can I? Can I?
7: <laughs> looks back I at her with a like, Certainly. Okay, I'll get my stuff! Are you sure you w- <laughs> I love music. Oh, yeah, play <laughs> something Baroque. She grabs in her tent and pulls out a small sack, throws it over her shoulder. With the
5: other hand, she pulls out this tiny, crappy-ass violin that looks like it's seen better days on the road, and begins to play against the side of her shoulder, this withering,
0: Wait, we now have the saddest fucking traveling group of misfits I've ever seen in my life. Hey, let the dude
11: with the nubs have his, you know. Classic Yeah, you got all the money, you got all the money,
0: that's great. He's without fingers, I've got nothing out of this. I've got seven. (laughs)
7: Lucky number.
5: And with that. (laughs) I'm glad you're keeping it positive, my friend. And with that, the legend of these journeymen continues forward into the annals of history. Thanks for listening to the Critical Role Podcast. If you enjoyed this past adventure of Vox Machina, you can catch us live on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time at twitch.tv slash geekandsundry. Is it Thursday yet? Hello, fans of Dungeons
3: and & Dragons and actual play podcasts.
2: Lovers of lore-rich storytelling, phenomenal characters, and grand adventures.
3: The Homebrew, a D&D play podcast, would like to invite you to check out our actual play we're a top-charting podcast with a thriving community and over 200 hours of epic story for you to binge. I catch up on.
12: The Homebrew is a D&D 5th edition campaign reskinned
3: as a huge sci-fi space opera.
4: Join us anywhere podcasts are found by searching The Homebrew, a D&D play podcast.
3: One more time, that's The Homebrew, a D&D play podcast.